Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, skags. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. A late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. Hello, good evening, and welcome to what is this episode 34 of the debrief? I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and I'm really excited for this evening because we have a great panel of guests to continue the conversation that we were having on Bad Faith earlier today with Abby Martin. Of course, you know and love Abby Abby Martin, journalist, activist, um, so outspoken and so courageous in so many of her perspectives. She, of course, is in the news these last couple of weeks because she, along with a number of others, including some of our panelists tonight, has been caught up in this big tech censorship sweep, which has really exposed the vulnerabilities of us aggregating so many of our resources and our our content output on these uh, tech giant websites like Twitter, um, like uh, Facebook, like YouTube. Over 600 episodes of her show uh, Huge and rich catalog was erased. If you listen to today's episode of Bad Faith, you know that only because of a mother's love and the fact that her mother backed up every episode on CD-ROM is there an archive that can be restored, but it is erased from the historical record. We all know what it's like to have not just the videos posted, but all of the commentary from the time. The comment sections are so rich. I always appreciate the dialogue that ends up happening underneath a video almost as much as in the video, sometimes I watch movies on like Netflix and I'm done and I want to like, I have this like Pavlovian instinct to scroll down and see what everybody else thought. And I hate, <laughs> I vaguely hate when I can't do that. And now all of that is of course gone. So today I am joined um, by a number of panelists who have had the same happen to them. Of course, Lee Camp who I believe I invited up to stage, but it looks like it might not have taken. So I'm going to try that again in a second. Um, Nico House and also Q, who has appeared on the podcast before. Each of them has a, something to bring to the equation. Um, Nico, I'm sorry. Uh, Lee's obviously going to talk about what has happened to him in terms of censorship and what he thinks is going on there. But also several of the guests have had experiences with other platforms, and I love to pick their brain about the opportunities available to going on those other platforms and what they make of the stigma that some platforms like Rumble hold. Before we get there and while I sort out the guest situation, I'm going to go ahead and do as I do and play a clip 
from uh, today's episode. Let's start with this one, and soon we'll be back with guests. Thank you for your patience. One second. computer wants to be extremely slow in this instance, but it's okay. Here we go. Nope, that doesn't want to work. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And we know based on the DNI report that came out that that was the threat to the political establishment. It wasn't Putin propaganda and it wasn't fake news. It was news that expressed grievances that the liberal establishment and neoconservative establishment wanted sanitized from our reality. They wanted to purge those voices. And so what you saw was an algorithmic censorship campaign taking root, where Google and a lot of these multi, uh, multinational corporations that uh, control social media giants, they preemptively changed the algorithm, backpaged alternative media and independent news, where you just simply couldn't find uh, things like the Real News Network, Truth Dig, Truth Out, all of these outlets that were essential sources for us, that were essentially cultivated and expanded in this egalitarian notion of the internet being a free-for-all, anyone can use it, anyone has the, the space and opportunity to, to be a competitor with corporate media. Well, that was all crushed in the wake of this DNI report, and they basically went on this huge crusade against fake news. But really what that was was just news that wasn't folded into the corporate media apparatus, and they wanted to basically um, eliminate and purge any sort of news that, that goes against these foreign policy narratives that are dominant. And so once the algorithmic censorship took hold, you saw... Uh, defense contractor funded think tanks like the Atlantic Council task themselves mm. with fact checking on outlets like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and very insidiously uh, deem what is and what is not reality. So essentially, we had our reality curated for us by our tech overlords, and we mm. didn't even know it was happening. And so all of this precipitated what we saw recently, Brie, which is in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine these same establishment figures that have been clamoring to finally shut down RT once and for all got their wish. And that's exactly what we saw happen. All of our archives were purged off YouTube and RT America shuttered its doors, I expect, as a result of sanctions. All right. So I have invited Q up. He is hand-wringing that I haven't done so, but I have... So I don't know what is going on there, but while I wait for him to to get up here. Oh, there he goes. Okay. Hey, Q. Q, I can't hear you for some reason. And you don't look like you're muted. Is it just me? I heard something. I heard a little thump. Q, can you say something? I hear the static, but nothing else. <laughs> now, I hear, <laughs> now I hear fiddling and rustling. I'm going to go ahead and take Carol as the first caller while you're figuring that out. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I'll just say a couple of things. One, it, towards the end when you and um, 
Wow, why am I forgetting her name? Abby Martin? <laughs> yes, Abby Martin. Oh, my God. Um, when you two were talking, you had mentioned, like, oh, you know, I see a benefit of going on these other platforms that may be kind of overrun with right wingers at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. It just really saddened me because I feel like so many times folks on the left, instead of thinking, like, hey, we should try and build our own things, it really immediately often default to like well this thing's already built so maybe we can make a small tiny home there and it just feels like a defensive posture as opposed to going on the offensive um Mm -hmm. and I think that's part of why we often lose uh so there was that bit but um a while back actually like one of my first calls this topic came up and uh you and I were planning to connect possibly to talk more about the stuff that I'm working on and sorry i hate to interrupt but uh brie real quick um mm-hmm. lee, lee is actually in the audience too just yeah, waiting for you I, pulled I up well i'm okay. trying to find him can i just say there's a thing about this where it it shows the top whatever 80 people or whatever and if you're not in the top 80 it won't expand so i can't see your face right what you, so then what I you can do is if you, you check the chat um no, yeah. no, I can check the chat. I can go to his page, yeah. but I can't invite him as a speaker from there. Oh, uh, what you can do is um, that little icon at the very top that looks like a person. Uh, <clears throat> if you click on that and then click on speak, you can type in Lee Camp's user, <clears throat> username I, and uh, I, it'll pull him up. I, okay, I think I did that. But go, go ahead, Carol, while I'm sorting this. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we were supposed to connect. Uh, you had uh, mentioned that I should put something in the comments and you would kind of follow me and send me an email. And so what I wanted to do was send you kind of an overview of what I'm working on. So at least you could take a look at that and you can decide whether or not you wanted to follow up on it. I'm not super comfortable talking in detail about what I'm working on because I'm not one of these people who believes that ideas don't matter. Um, My idea is not super technically difficult. It's more about kind of the concept, (laughs) the work around it. So that's why, um, I would rather talk about it offline, but um, yeah, if you're still open to having that discussion and connecting with me, I'd be happy to send you um, kind of an overview and we can go from there. I am Carol and I saw your message. I'm just a little overwhelmed right now, but I'll definitely follow up with you. Definitely. So I'll just listen to the conversation from now on. I didn't want to, but I wanted to circle back to that. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. So now it looks like we have all three panelists in the chat. Uh, Lee, Q, Nico, thank you so much for joining. I, I, I want you to, to each introduce yourself. But before you do, who do either you, Q or Nico, because I know that you both have familiarity with some of these platforms like, you know, Rumble and um, Rockfin. What do you make of Carol's comment that perhaps the left should be forging its own way in creating platforms that are explicitly kind of geared toward the left as opposed to joining up with um, platforms that potentially have some stigma, negative stigma attached? Uh, uh, I was just going to say it's kind of uh, hard for beggars to be choosers at this point because the thing about starting up a, a major platform like that is that you have to have the financial backing. And generally speaking, obviously, it's easier for Republicans and conservatives to get financial backing. Um, so the best that you can hope for is that you get like some type of independent minded individual who starts a platform like that, which I would probably consider Rockfin the closest to that. Uh, kind of like Martin's like, just, he just doesn't really believe in political parties just as an example. But like when we talking about, when we're talking about big money that backs things like that from the left, there's always strings attached, right? So the moment that you don't 
fall into that left leftist paradigm or whatever they describe as being a leftist paradigm, which oftentimes gets conflated to just being a straight up liberal or neoliberal, then they can just remove you or take you down, which is not mm -hmm. what we want. We kind of want to foster the discourse because what's the point of screaming into an echo chamber of people who think like us? Because then when people even come to to hear it, like we already know that most of the country doesn't agree with either political party. So the only way we can get people to start thinking independently and then acting uh, like engaging in activism rather than the, the futile task of pretending as if this, like, this, uh, you know, this left-right paradigm can be broken by simply voting and only voting, I think we have to kind of be able to reach out to other people, which other platforms give us the opportunity to, uh, to do. Do you agree, Q? I, I, I don't think that people understand how much money it takes to create an over-the-top streaming platform. It's not as simple as just building a web app. And, of yeah. course, if you build an over-the-top streaming platform that's accessible on the web. It has to be accessible on mobile devices as well. As the people that call in well know, uh, mm -hmm. developing for mobile devices is not the easiest endeavor, especially with Android. Developing with Java is the biggest fucking pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. um, the other the other part is, uh, as Nico alluded to, it, yeah, that is absolutely correct, that uh, when you want to create an explicitly left project, um, regardless of whatever medium it comes in, there usually are strings attached. So there is some degree of editorial discretion that's exercised by whoever is funding the platform. A really good example of this, um, I mean, you know that I host a, a show with Glenn Greenwald, Unredacted, 4.30 mm -hmm. p.m. Eastern Standard Time Thursday, <laughs> <laughs> on Thursdays. But, um, uh, you know, he, he previously worked with The Intercept, and The Intercept uh, was funded by eBay billionaire Pierre Omidyar. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was probably inevitable that there was going to be some clash between uh, the funders' interests and uh, and reporting in that uh, talking about Hunter Biden's laptop did not mm -hmm. fly. It, you know, as he says, for the first time, um, they attempted to exercise editorial discretion to the extent that they just wouldn't let him report the story. It was... It was Passed off as, well, he, you know, he wasn't open to being edited, but it mm -hmm. really came across as we don't want you to tell the story. And as the New York Times uh, reported, like, yes, there is, there is fire to the smoke regarding not only what was on Hunter Biden's laptop, but uh, his potential conflicts of interest, uh, you know, being the son of the, uh, the vice president and, and trading on his father's political influence to enrich himself. Mm-hmm. And U.S. interests in Ukraine. And Pierre Omidyar also had deep financial interests in Ukraine as well. He was one of the uh, the principal funders of um, media, like independent media groups, which were primarily like pro-regime change media groups in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, so he, he dropped, I think, the year before the, the Maidan happened, um, over $350,000 to uh, help fund, quote-unquote, independent media. Um, one of those projects was the Kiev Independent. Uh, which ended up replacing, you know, the like uh, replacing uh, Ukraine's national newspaper. So the Kiev Independent is, for the most part, uh, financed by outside entities, and it does very much run a like an anti-Russian, pro-regime change, pro-Western, pro-EU, pro-NATO point of view. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I I I don't know. I, I'm very hesitant about the idea that uh, we should try to form leftist cutouts. Um, in the media space. But that, that, that point goes both ways, Q, because to, to that point, the fact that The Intercept exists yeah. and is able to exist because of this guy, because of Pierre Omidyar, who also used to pay my salary, you know, 
and there's this conflict of interest that emerges. I mean, that can cut both ways. Yes, it's good that Glenn was able to found the Intercept and do the good work that has come out of the Intercept. But also, ultimately, it ended up not being sustainable, at least for Glenn. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about, uh, you know, Rumble, Rockfin, et cetera. We're also talking about mm-hmm. Colin, if we really want to get our hands mm-hmm. dirty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the uh, at least from what I understand and from what I read in my contract, and you probably got a very similar contract to me, mm-hmm. is that Colin is not... Uh, there's no sort of editorial discretion as long as we're within like fairly reasonable terms of service, you know, no calls to violence, right. no calls to terrorist action, no hate speech against marginalized groups and so on. You can talk about whatever you want and nobody's going to try to exercise editorial discretion over you. The very same applies to rumble. I happen to be friendly with the, uh, the CEO, Chris Pavlovsky, as well as their VP of content, Claudio Romolo. And neither of, I mean, I know that like, because People don't know them, and they know the name Peter Thiel, and Peter Thiel is one of the investors in Rumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Naria Capital has, like, just, like, at this point, because they've gone public, it's like an infinitesimally small um, total share. But, like, there is no uh, direction coming from Naria Capital or, or Peter Thiel himself as to how they run their business. Uh, I've spoken to Chris at length. Um, most, most of those conversations happen, like, out of the public eye. And... There is no interest in using Rumble as a platform to mainstream or to skew any particular point of view. So from from my POV, at least, and having like gotten to uh, know Chris and know the platform and what it is that they're committed to, that's probably as good a deal as you're going to get for the time being. So I want to uh, come yeah. back to this. I want to come back to this. And I wanna... and, and just just one, one, more, one more thing I want to add is that... Uh, even if you do, even if you are able to secure the funding for a, a leftist media platform that, that does like over-the-top video streaming, um, and you are not beholden to any sort of editorial direction, here's the other part. Just the same way as people are going to say, um, why would you uh, watch anything that's on Rumble? It's a right-wing misinformation site. You end up opening yourself to the same sort of criticism, which is people will be hesitant to uh, check out anything that is on a particular platform because it it has a leftist point or have the, has a leftist bent, has leftist yeah. skew. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, 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 before we get into this, guys, I really I got to bring Lee into this conversation because also he has to leave earlier than everybody else. So we're going to come back to this, I promise. But I really want to give Lee an opportunity to introduce himself to the audience. I'm sure everybody already knows who he is, but to also – talk about what has happened to him, which is the reason we're even talking about these alternative platforms in the first instance. So Lee, the floor is yours. Uh, I feel like I've said everything I need to say. How so? I'm just kidding. It was a joke. Um, <laughs> so... I, bet you, I mean, you have been doing the rounds. I thought you just maybe meant everybody here knows my story already. <laughs> uh, no, uh, good, to, good to talk with you, Bree. Um, yeah. Well, to answer the, the previous question, and then I'll talk about what happened to me, but uh, I also think that something has happened with many of these sites, which is you either have a you know big tech site that says they are not opposed to censorship and they delete whatever they want, um, and you end up like me with your entire history being deleted uh, at some point if you're if you're uh, successful enough, mm-hmm. um, or you say we're for anti censorship, so we will allow you know anything outside of maybe uh, straight up calls for violence or something. Um, and the people that join those sites initially 
uh, are going to be the the mass number of you know Nazi supporters, et cetera, that got kicked off the other sites. So you end up with a site that is mostly you know straight up racist and things like that, and then they try and bring in a few leftists to try and even things out. And and this has happened on a few sites. Um, or you were to, if you were to create a site that's like we do leftist content, then you're in the position uh, whoever created it, even if they had the money would be in a position of being like, well, I decide what's leftist and I delete everything that's not leftist. And that gets pretty complicated pretty quick as to whether people are going to support something that says, yeah, we delete anything that doesn't, uh, you know, isn't clearly leftist or whatever. So that's my answer to the last question. Um, In terms of what's happened to me, which I kind of referenced there for a second. So Mm -hmm. uh, some people don't know who I am. I hosted uh, Redacted Tonight on RT America for eight years, uh, 375 episodes of the main show and then the interview show uh, over 500 uh, over 500 total episodes. Uh, And RT America shut down two weeks ago, roughly. Um, You know, one day everything seemed fine. The next day they said everything's done. Thanks a lot. Uh, after 15 years, I was there for eight, but I think it was close to 15. Mm. And it clearly had something to do with government sanctions. I don't know that, you know, the mainstream media doesn't seem to really have an answer in their articles they've written about it. Uh, I don't have the answer either, but I know it was very sudden and everything's done and everything's over and there's no mumblings of it ever coming back. Mm. Um, but then on top of that, they d- they banned the Redacted Tonight YouTube channel, which is where most of our videos were. So that's hundreds of episodes all banned pretty much globally, uh, including the United States. And then simultaneously, my personal podcast moment of clarity was deleted from Spotify. Uh, so all of this kind of happened at once and this cross-platform censorship of voices, especially voices that are anti-war, anti-imperialist is, you know, should trouble everyone. I really think it should trouble people that don't even agree with things I'm saying. Did Spotify give you any rationale? No, I never heard from them. Because that seems like a, a whole separate kit and caboodle. Do you know what I mean? Like a, an unaffiliated, I mean, not, it's not better or worse, but if, if, if RT America goes away because sanctions basically make it unable to function and it gets banned in Europe because of the reasons, I mean, that's one no, that's conglomeration. U- U- U.S. as well. Okay. Like that's one conglomeration of stuff, but the yeah. Spotify in your, and that the, the Spotify show wasn't RT affiliated at all. Right. It was not. It was mine created, and I created it years before I started Redacted Tonight. The only thing I can come up with is that I did use some of the audio from Redacted Tonight. So if they had an algorithm that just searched out my show in any way and deleted any of that, then that could have been why they did it. And have you you've reached out and they just they don't haven't replied, or they give you a, a rote like a summary pro forma reply, or just radio silence? I never heard anything from them. No. Lee, that's wild. <laughs> well, it's it's scary, and I'm 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 amazed. Like it's amazing to see like the mainstream media totally not care at all. Like that this is happening. Like they could not care less that like fellow journalists, fellow I you know, and I'm I'm a comedian slash journalist, but still, you know, just don't care at all that all of this is purged, deleted from the airwaves. I mean, honestly, if you're truly anti-war right now. You're opposed to the, I said clearly I was opposed to Putin's invasion of Ukraine, but I'm also opposed to our wars as well. And been saying that for years. Uh, if you're anti-war right now, like you are on the chopping block. 
Yeah. I mean, so this is, this is important. So Abby, like I just mentioned, she says that she is lucky that she's at least able to maintain her own archive because her mother recorded the shows. I was thinking to myself, if this were to happen to, you know, bad faith, you know, you, you have different producers that have stuff on their desktop. My computer is always full because I have terrible management skills <laughs> and, you know, I, I would have nothing. And that is really making me take seriously the idea of backing up on these other terabyte, 10 terabyte external hard drive. I've, I mean, I cannot stress enough that you have to back up your own copies of things and the cloud is definitely not safe. I have five terabytes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, w- I will say, I think Abby's show was too long ago for this to happen, but I will say that odyssey.com seems to have almost all of our videos, or at least the last couple of years. Uh, they basically just, if you created an account there, they would just upload everything from YouTube. So if you go to odyse.com and look up Redacted Tonight, you'll find most of our stuff. Yeah, Odyssey should have, actually, if I'm not mistaken, all of them. I think there's like a cap at some point, but like... Yeah. It's, it's like a huge cap. Like I know that for a fact they have literally every single video of ours, and I had everybody on the MCSC network get Odyssey specifically in case we ran into this issue. Well, what is Odyssey? Is it a site explicitly for that purpose of backing stuff up? No, it's, it's a video It's a video site uh, like YouTube, but uh, like I don't know how they claim to be different from YouTube. So how many of these exist? Because I feel like when Rumble, when Rumble came along, it was a big deal because it was caught up in all of the reporting about the one six protesters and how they were all fleeing uh, YouTube to there after, uh, you know, Trump got banned from Twitter and all of the things happened around one six. But I had the impression that these things are kind of unique in part for the reasons described earlier, that it's very expensive to start these sites up. So Odyssey is similar to YouTube, except for their algorithm is different. They don't favor algorithm, do like algorithm favoritism based off of like you being mainstream or you being acceptable, et cetera, et cetera. Like uh, it's just an algorithm they let go, but there is like a catch, right? So you get, you can buy crypto and people get paid in crypto called the library coin. And if you decide to put more crypto on a video or, somebody wants to donate crypto to your video to give you a tip, then that actually does help in the algorithm. And it's to kind of incentivize people to spend their money to help popular videos become more popular. So it's like, it's unique from YouTube in that regard. Um, And obviously like, you know about Rockfin already. Rockfin is um, a decentralized platform. Uh, They pay out in the Ray token. Uh, Same thing, very similar with the algorithm. Wait, I'm sorry, Nico, back up for a second. They pay out in what token? Ray token, R-A-E. What's it's Ray token? on the Ethereum network, but it'll be on the Polygon network here. They're switching over on March 31st. And then, so this is also, this is like a kind of cryptocurrency? Yes, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's it actually pretty, for the most part, it's been pretty, probably the most successful, I would say, out of the independent video platforms. Yeah, Rockfin's have, like, been pretty successful. Yeah, I mean, they, their coin in less than, in like a year got up to $5 at one point before the major crypto crash, which mm. I hadn't seen. Even Odyssey, with all the backing behind it, hadn't got up to that amount. They got, I think the highest they got to was like 75 cent or thing. So it's like a pretty big deal. Um, and they constantly involve the creators in every month. They invite all the creators to talk about the future of the platform and what they would like to see implemented. Um, mm. You know, obviously we know about Colin, uh, Rumble. Uh, Rumble's still kind of, I, I don't, I'm not really familiar with the, the inner working of Rumble. Maybe one of you guys can better explain that. Yeah. I will say that, because, uh, I mean, I work with Rumble. Can you just cut out? I'm not sure I, what happened. You said you work with Rumble. Oh, can you? 
Can you not hear me at all? You're back. You're back. Okay. Yeah, I, I work with them. And uh, yeah, I was signed uh, last, I want to say like, it was November or December. Uh, it was late last year. And um, they do pay, I think through like PayPal or Pioneer. Um, you can also like have uh, a direct deposit to your account. Uh, I think that they've, I don't know, looked into uh, paying out in crypto, but I, I mean, just the same way that I, I see it. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm super skeptical because, you know, having a background in finance and all that, and I always try to like find the rough edges of these things. I just have a, I have a really hard time um, finding a, a proper use case uh, for crypto as like payouts, as opposed to crypto as um, a means of like getting funds places where traditional banking fails. But that all being said, um, the inner workings of it are, are not super complicated. I mean, all they want people to do is uh, to be on the site, um, producing videos, uh, you know, providing regular content, et cetera. And it's pretty much the same thing as long as you're within the terms of service, just like here. Well, um, the, the question I have there's about no, there's no is, chance I, that you're going to be, yeah. I'm a little less interested in, in how it pays because most people interface with these sites not as content producers but as consumers. consumers. Yeah. And I want to know more about, I mean, if, if, as a consumer, mm-hmm. I want to know, Am I going to go over there and start searching? Is there enough content over there, or enough people over there? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now because because yeah. of the uh, the the glut of people that jumped over to that site after one six. Devin Nunez, I think, was the one that sort of set off the stampede um, when Devin Nunez uh, got on the site. I guess like he brought all of his people over there, and then a bunch of the IDW types got interested in it, and they uh, flocked over to the site. And I mean, they were doing pretty well. Uh, the site, uh, especially after like Glenn joined and Jimmy Dore and uh, Russell Brand joined, I mean, it just like mm. exploded in terms of popularity. But the issue is, like, for, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest about it. You go to the front page, and what you find is, for the most part, like cat videos and right wingers. There's not really a heck of a lot of balance. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. I'm not going really now. a lot of balance. Yeah. So I'm seeing top videos: Dream Closet Makeover on a Budget, which is germane to my interests. So I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then in the editor's picks on the right, it's a Megan, Mc- uh, sorry, a, Ke- a Megan Kelly video, the BLM grift, <laughs> LOL. I mean, whatever. <laughs> She's fine. Um, Russell Brand, they're coming for me. Uh, and uh, uh, Crowder, what's his name? Tim C- Stephen Crowder. Why Steven is John Crowder, Case, yeah. uh demanding something? Dot dot dot. So I mean, it's a it's a mix. If you, if you put up a Nazi cat video, you would <laughs> man, I got to get on that immediately. But I, I mean, there is there's a cat. You're right. There's a cat playing with toilet paper. If I scroll down to the viral column, yeah. <laughs> and the news, the top news clip is from Newsmax, and then Project Veritas, yeah, and then so, one American so I think news that network. The well, one of the, one of the biggest. Like, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say like it's kind of important for all these pla- for all these different platforms, right? So you're not gonna find a lot of parody as far as like the CNNs and the Washington Post. Like Washington Post would never be at the top, right? Because they don't need to. Because they're getting favorable uh, treatment by the algorithms, whether it be on, you know, YouTube or Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that you might see like a somewhat of a bias probably towards the right, right? Because anybody who define themselves as right all feel like they're getting screwed. I mean, and largely it's true, to be honest. But like you're not going to see the traditional Democrats like maybe a Kyle Kalinske go over on Rumble to a large degree. Because why would Kyle need that if he's getting perceivably tra- uh, favorable treatment by the algorithm? So it's not even just favorable treatment. It's also that the things that he's saying is not threatening to anybody. Controversial. Yeah. Right. So well, okay. no, I'm just I'm not, not controversial. Gonna, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to 
want to get into a conversation about litigating the various merits of of hosts. We can do that yeah, at a I'm different time, about, but I'd yeah, rather sure. do it when Kyle is actually I'm not, here. I'm not, I'm not here to I'm not here to you know call Kyle a shit lib or anything like that. What I, what I am saying though is that um, after you've been on YouTube or Twitch or any of these mainstream platforms for a certain period of time, you become very clear about what's allowable to say and what you should probably take offline and not discuss on your show. So there's there's already like a coerced mode of speech that exists. I mean, I was on Hassan uh, Piker's, oh, sorry, Hassan Piker came on a show that I was uh, hosting not too long ago and mm-hmm. we were just like shooting the shit. And, um, you know, when I was uh, saying some things, he's like, oh, you, you want to stay away from that? And I was like, why? Why can't I say that? He's like, oh, that's, that's stuff that's tossed. Like it'll get you tossed. I'm like, is it outlined in the terms of service? No, 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 but it'll most likely like get you in trouble. So it's like people have already with been who? conditioned. Like on, uh, with, with, with the Twitch shots? Yeah. Yes. That we, yeah. on, I, I was on Twitch live streaming with my live streaming my podcast, Government Secrets, and we were talking about the Nazi backed coup in Ukraine 2014, and it cut off almost immediately, and, and now we can't live stream on, on there anymore. And I think it's just because we were saying the word Nazi, but of course we were saying it in a negative way. So. Yeah, what yeah, do they do on, like, Holocaust Remembrance Day? <laughs> like... No, you actually can't even do stuff like that anymore, even on YouTube. Like, remember the History Channel, like, basically deleted all, like, the World War II content because it just talked about Hitler? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that was a whole thing, like, three years ago. Well, no, I guess it was long No, it was, now. like, four or five like, years ago, but, years. yeah, you're right. I, I do remember that, too. So, yeah, like, content creators have... Like, there was a uh, study done by Elsevier, uh, probably, I think it was, like, three or four years ago, that talked about, like how social media sites um, create like an unspoken type of coercion where, for example, like people will hide if they're like a party um, mm-hmm. and somebody asks them to take a picture. Now they're not being told like, Hey, I'm taking this picture. I'm putting on, putting on Facebook. It's just they're at a friend's party. Someone says, Hey, let's, let's get a picture together. And people will deliberately do things like slide their drink behind their body so that it's not showing in the picture so that if it does show up on Facebook, then if they're, let's say, going out for potential, potential job interviews or they work at a school or something like that, that if they're tagged in a photo, um, that they're not going to potentially get in trouble with employers. So it's like the the way that we've been forced to essentially like a, adhere to terms of service within the online milieu is affecting how we're behaving offline. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's gone to such a far extent that people are becoming afraid to talk about certain things, especially when it contradicts sort of like the, uh, the American Imperial project. If you say things, you're going to be immediately classified as somebody who is either uh, sympathetic with one of America's enemies or somebody that is deliberately attempting to incite. So it, it has very much bled into the way that people interact with these platforms when they're on them even though it's not deliberately outlined in terms of service that there are certain topics you're not allowed to talk about or certain points of view you're not allowed to take, people have already begun to condition themselves to stay on the safe side of not. I highly recommend just going ahead, getting the scarlet letter tattooed on your forehead, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, I mean... Uh, <laughs> you do have to worry about it, because look at the situation you're in. I, I, I'm, 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 no, I'm I black, know. so I walk outdoors and it's already there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so so what, are, what, are, what are we doing about it? So we were talking a little bit about these alternative platforms. I got to say, like, it does feel like... I mean, it's a, it's a collection a collective action problem, right, on two fronts. One, the stigma issue. Like, at first, I tried to make Substack into this boogeyman until too many, like, New York Times and Washington Post editors were making money on Substack, and I think they had to lay off the idea that it was, like, this 
festering soup of intellectual dark web evil. And <laughs> Rumble, though, and these other and, – and Rockfin – I mean, Rockfin doesn't I don't think have the same stigma that's attached to Rumble because the one six stuff. But Rumble has – you know, it's the collective action problem around the uh, reputation – the reputational harm of, of the people, the first movers who go over who are not conservative. And then moreover, there is the collective action problem of are there enough people over there to make it worth my while? And as I'm looking at the site, that's the thing. Do these videos get regularly like 10, 50, 100,000, half a million, a million hits the way that YouTube videos do? So, no, I mean, no, that, but remember that that's taken years and years. And, I mean, decades at this point for YouTube to be able to, to do that. But I think that it's a collective action issue, but I think that maybe our focus is on the wrong thing, right? So we keep saying, well, how do we drive people to those platforms? And we keep trying to use the name or the association of those platforms to, to figure that out. But I think it's more of a matter of we kind of all have to do like what we're doing now, which is constantly uplift those with uh, who have a, you know, a, good, a good background of being honest and genuine and do work hard and are independent journalists and are trying to do the right thing. And then those people then say, hey, I'm on Rockfin, I'm on Odyssey, I'm on Rumble. And then as we do that, that actually, I mean, Rockfin's algorithm, they have a, they, they basically measure this. They show that if you work together as creators, regardless of the, the, the you know, whether you're conservative or liberal or leftist or whatever, like the entire platform benefits. Right? No, I, so I, I get that. For, I get that, but someone has to go first. And I'm just, I'm not, I'm not making a judgment. Mm -hmm. I'm just articulating the reality that the, the people who are at the headwind of it are going to take some flack. I mean, I got flack for joining Colin and I, you know, I, I knew it was coming really? and I made the decision, <laughs> you know, I just made a decision that I didn't care, but yeah, there's people, I mean, I muted them, so I don't see them, but <laughs> like totally there's people who every time I tweet something, tell me that I'm Peter Thiel, somebody, somebody, something. Let, let's get some callers in here, though, because I want to know from a, a consumer, a viewer, a listener perspective, what they think of these various platforms and whether they think that they would actually be traveling to follow, you know, follow their favorite content creators here, there and other, everywhere. I'm going to skip oh, around. Did the they just today. take off? I'm sorry. Did they just yeah, take off? Oh, oh damn it. OK, yeah, I was trying but, to say I was been yeah. trying to get in touch with the guy. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll facilitate if you need me to. But let's let's hear. I'm, I'm going to hop around a bit in the thing. Um, so that some people don't always call get in. Um, Grace, uh, what do you make of this all? You know, I I was just talking to some community organizers today um, because yeah, we feel very I very stuck about where to get. I mean, it just goes back to me to the other episode about where we're supposed to get our left media and then this Ukraine situation has taken it to another level of where I don't know where space is even possible. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know. I didn't know until you were just saying this, that is Colin known to be like full of right wing folks. Is that? No, it's, it's the, oh. it's the, it's a funding issue. Yeah. You know, and that's me. the point that everybody makes. It's like <laughs> all the people who have money are like, not people who share our politics necessarily. Do you know what I mean? The people who start all of these apps, these VC guys, are not socialists. You know what I mean? To say it lightly. I mean, I was thinking even just to have some sort of a directory, um, like a left directory somewhere where we could at least know who the other content creators are, because I'm sure I'm missing out on a ton of folks too. Mm. Um, at least to have some sort of a start to get us all together because I, I'm, I've been tasked now with um, 
trying to get some like national media attention on a, something that's going on here locally after we had some um, felony arrests, basically for folks who are participating in mutual aid. Mm. Um, and, you know, our local media was only covering it as much as they're going to. And I really, I mean, to me, it's a really important story. And I'm like, where do I go next? And I also want to ask you about democracy now. That's always on mm. my mind. I don't know where you stand with them, um, but they, I mean, they do have such a long standing. They're the closest thing to what feels like a network to me that I've known for so long. Mm. Yeah. Well, wasn't there, I, I, I'm not, if you, if you guys know more, please jump in. But w- didn't I hear that there was a little bit of a funding kerfuffle there as well? The same way there is with NPR that suddenly you're listening to, to the channel and they're like, thank you for the sponsor from Exxon Mobil. And, and you're like, oh, you have the business roundtables fu- fu- funding NPR. Yeah. I heard, I heard in one afternoon of listening, trying to just have a little light, you know, um, wait, where's that, you know, whatever that show is. Uh, you know, wait, both, wait, don't tell wait, wait, don't tell me. Just trying to chill, cook brunch, and listen to wait, wait, don't tell me. I heard both an ad for ExxonMobil or some oil company and also definitely the business roundtable. And then there was reporting. There was some sense because their funding that they started taking that isn't necessarily aligned with leftist ideals started when the, the YouTube adpocalypse, quote unquote, happened mm. in 2017, 2018. And so I'm sure they had to start looking for other sources of funding. And all of a sudden you start sounding a little bit different. Well, that You're was NPR. democracy yeah. now or NPR? democracy now. those two things. Yeah, I was oh, talking about okay. NPR, but I had heard. I mean, I had heard that some people were com- complaining about um, advertising for democracy now, but I can't speak specifically to who it is. Yeah, I I didn't know if that's the case. I mean, obviously NPR is like we're sponsored by Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. My my partner is actually working for a NPR station now, and they had a discussion with <laughs> with him about um not i think he was like on this day the exxon valdez or whatever mm. happened and they're like mm, maybe we should run these by us first mm. <laughs> but, um, okay i but i i could have sworn that democracy now like one of their principles is that they don't take outside yeah, so advertising i'm, I'm, I'm yeah, googling i don't even do fake sure. news i just googled it democracy now still says it does not accept advertisers okay. corporate underwriting or government funding okay but yeah I was, I, okay I, when I was a kid, my mom took me to one in St. Louis and one in um, Memphis. There were these media conferences and they were going on in the middle of the Iraq war. Um, or I mean, I guess that went on for a very long time, but, um, <laughs> and they were kind of just talking about the need for independent media because, you know, obviously even from, I mean, it felt like there wasn't enough media coverage during that whole debacle, but it feels like at this point there's, there's not even like an inkling of dissent. Um, and, you know, I found myself this week, like hearing things that Tucker Carlson was saying that I was like, are you the only person who's saying this publicly? And that's yep. very alarming <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, and then Whoopi, I know you watched The View, Brianna. Um, <laughs> Whoopi was like, we got to arrest people or something. Um <laughs> I will, if there's someone I can write, by the way, to like get you on the view, my God. I mean, <laughs> I watch it every day, <laughs> which is like maybe crazy, but I just kind of like want to know what the, to me, that's like me keeping my finger on the pulse of whatever. 
Um, yeah, I think the view is a really great barometer for what's going on. More people, way more people are watching the view than like are listening to Rachel Maddow or whatever. So as much as you want to get mad at, at Rachel, I listened, I, I watched those view clips. I don't have cables. I don't watch it live, but I did during the campaign. We used to put it on in the, the office sometimes and blow our minds, but I do watch the view and I do listen to pot save America because they have a huge reach and they do a good job of distilling exactly what the predominant kind of liberal thinking about stuff is. I listen to pot save so much and have so many reactions, by the way, that I low key want to have an entire show. That's just Brianna reacts to pot save America. <laughs> Cause I'll be taking these notes and like forwarding them on to producer Ben. And he's like, Brianna, like this is like, it's a lot. It's too much. It'll be a it'll swallow up an entire episode. If you make all of these complaints, um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about whether or not, uh, there are alternatives given that even, you know, our heroes like over at democracy now may or may not be adjusting their messaging because of this apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, I just know them to be the purest, oldest form that I, you know, that I've been familiar with, but I love the idea of doing some sort of a media conference because to me, that space, we need it now more than ever. I've just kind of tried to immerse myself locally in what messaging looks like um, mm-hmm. as we're seeing this huge shift. Um, but I mean, obviously, and then I feel like the urgency of it has increased dramatically um, given the Ukraine situation. Well, so Nicole, let me ask you about that, because the thing about Rockfin, right, also is that they have they are kind of aggregating left media content in, in, in groups so that you can say, OK, I might pay, be paying $5 a month for Bad Faith Podcast, but if I pay $10 a month to Rockfin, then I can get access to Bad Faith premium content, let's say hypothetically like Katie Halber premium content, Lee Camp premium content, Nico House premium content, mm-hmm. and you can share and share alike and get more of that kind of community situation going. Nobody right? wants Q premium content. <laughs> Q premium content is demon hours. <laughs> But, but Nico, is that right? Am I describing yeah. that accurately? Well, yeah, except for I would say that they try their best. So in their verticals, like so any category that you would have, right, they don't do like liberal podcasts or conservative. It's all like free thinking media or like crypto specific media. And they do aggregate uh, uh, content creators, but it's more so in a sense of these are independent people who cover politics in the similar kind of politics that you like to listen to rather than they're covering exactly how you want it to be covered which is how so many people tend to generate uh, interactions and engagement on Rockfin because you don't, you'll get it thrown in front of you because maybe you do watch Lee Camp and therefore you may have clicked on uh, the convo couch or Jason Burmis. And now you're figuring, oh, they have some similarities, but they also have some differences. Well, let me just go ahead and listen to both anyway, since I'm already going to pay for Lee or I'm already going to pay for Nico. And the benefit of that to the creator, of course, is that if they do have a premium subscription to myself, then if, the person listening to me and pays me listens to them, then they get a piece of that. So, and it's, like I said, it's worked out so well thus far that they keep just kind of doubling down on that. Uh, and which is, I think how you achieve like the goals that we're trying to kind of achieve, um, which is, you know, just trying to make sure that everybody can kind of be not censored all at once when you can't really put a finger on who's right or who's left wing and who's right wing. Then you kind of can say, no, we're being censored because we're telling the truth now. And that's kind of, I feel like where we're at right now. Um, after this whole thing with, that happened with RT, RT America. I think this was like... algorithm? Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, I mean, sorry, I, I, I'd like to answer your question, actually. Uh, you go ahead, Grace. 
Oh, I was just asking how, to what degree it's algorithmed. Because to me, something can't be free speech unless you could, you know, it's equal access. Uh, I think we tend to think of the algorithm as this like digital god that uh, plucks content or promotes content out of the ether. Uh, and to an extent, I mean, Google's algorithms are highly sophisticated and are designed to put everything in front of your eyeballs that it thinks you want to see. So when I go and I do research for any sort of culturally related stuff that I host with uh, my boy T at Media Masochists, it thinks that I want to see Harlem and uh, Bel Air and all sorts of other corny shit. I really hate Excuse it. Excuse me, cute. You're not watching Harlem and Bel Air? <laughs> no, I think Bel Air is actually uh, not bad, actually. I watch, them, I, watch, no, I watch them because I have to, not because I want to. <laughs> Black but- tax? <laughs> <laughs> But the, the the truth of the matter with the algorithm is that it's des- like it, it's designed and maintained by humans. There's uh, algorithms are not like set it and forget it. Uh, people are constantly updating and tweaking them. There's an entire like industry of machine learning specialists that exist. I would say like a, a grand plurality of them under Alphabet's auspices. That is the, the parent company of Google, um, and they're designed to do exactly that. So when you see content that is suddenly being disappeared, if the algorithm wasn't doing it before, the fact that it's happening now means that somebody made a change to the quote-unquote algorithm in order to have this content disappear immediately. So there was a deliberate, uh, there's a deliberate aspect to it. Now, the fact that a lot, of this, a lot of this content had anything to do with RT does obviously like show signs of automation. But then the question is, what is it about RT's content that was so... I don't know, like dangerous or destructive that it had to be disappeared first from Europe and then from the from all of uh, Google's data banks entirely. Well, I can I could actually probably elaborate a little bit more on that one. Uh, So I'm a RT contributor. Most of you all probably know that if you know me. And uh, the thing that RT does actually and probably makes them the most dangerous is that they've covered like U.S. imperialism or Western and NATO imperialism just generally for years since its existence, and they also also offer uh, parody, like to a ridiculous degree. So if you have a, a leftist like myself or Bree, they're going to have a liberal on one of the like debate shows, or they're going to have a conservative there. And when you have that many, you know, voices all on one show, somewhere in between there, you get the truth, truth, or you at least get every side of the story for you to then go look up the facts for yourself. And so when you have anybody who just even just says, hey. There's more than one side to the story, especially when you're in a situation like we're in right now with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, then you are an inherent danger to the dominant narrative. And you can't control anybody without everyone or the, at least the majority of the population adhering to the dominant narrative, which, of course, requires you to, in their minds, give them one option. Like, it's because they've never actually, I'm sure you've all noticed, they've never actually been able to cite what RT has done, like lied about no it's it's enough that it's if it's enough that it's a quote-unquote uh state-funded russian media that's Mm -hmm. that's enough and i find it really interesting that that to be enough like why don't we say the same thing about bbc then i was just gonna get there like yeah uh, bbc uh canadian broadcasting corporation npr and so on like these are not designated as state-funded entities but you know you know the vibes Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, somebody, uh, do you think that, that you're, the point that you were making, Nico, about there just being parody and having two opposing views being so threatening? I mean, I know that people have mixed feelings about mm-hmm. it and, you know, it is corporate backed, but even Rising 
yeah. got the axe last week. Yeah, that was crazy. And that's probably because of Kim, right? Because where Ryan's probably more, a little bit more liberal, the other guy's a little bit more libertarian, conservative. They're firmly in camps. When you're firmly in a camp, generally speaking, you're not that threatening to the establishment or to the people who are, you know, really in charge of the whole algorithm situation like he was talking about. But Kim is very independent-minded. She might criticize China one day. The next day, she might be like, no, this is the United States' fault. Stop blaming China all the time. And I can't remember what video got them banned, but it was a Trump. It was a video in which they they were commenting on a Trump speech, and in the middle of the speech, not the part they were playing it for or that they commented on at all, he does the Trump thing where he just randomly says, "And the election was stolen." By the way, it was like a random aside. They don't, didn't address it, and they were accused of spreading election fraud misinformation because they didn't, in the middle of what they were covering, address that little tick that yeah, he has in careful the middle when you're of using yeah. primary sources nowadays. Yeah. The primary source to get you kicked off. I literally got kicked off of TikTok today because I posted a, a speech from Zelensky. Like, well, you got kicked off of TikTok for, but everyone, I mean, the people who control these algorithms love Zelensky. I mean, they, yeah, they kind of unequivocally. The, I, I want to say, I think he used the word in there that. Oh, he said Nazi? Yeah, I think he said Nazi in the speech or at least an iteration, like later on in the speech. But just because that speech was posted, they. Done. So what does it mean you got kicked off TikTok? Did they tell you how, for how long? No, they permanently banned me and gave me the option to appeal. That's a, I'm still waiting on the uh, the appeal, the response to it. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because I'm pretty sure I've said more controversial stuff than literally posting a speech from a primary source, right? But it's it's yeah. it, at the end of the day, I mean, I know for a fact, not only does, does YouTube have obviously people behind the algorithm that constantly change them, because I work with one of the people who used to do that and left Google specifically because of how they operate and started his own company. But also somebody from YouTube has found me before in San Francisco at a Tulsi Gabbard event to tell me not only do they change the algorithm, but they they target people. They have people that they specifically target to reduce your, uh, you know, reduce your placement in the algorithm based off of your name to, 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 you know, either forcibly unsubscribe or target you for demonetization. That's why you hear some people will hit this wall because the algorithm hasn't caught on to them yet. Like they'll get to 30,000 or 40,000 and then yeah. boom, all of a sudden their growth just stops and it doesn't make any sense because the content they're pr- producing is usually better. They have more of an audience yeah. and we know from years past that's when you're supposed to hit that like that bump that's exponential mm-hmm. in your growth. But it's been the opposite now. That's what makes you, you so paranoid because you don't know. I mean, like to me, you know, there's a part of me that's like I don't want to be claiming that I'm being, you know, shadow banned or whatever if it's not true. And there's no way for me to know. But like last year around this time, you know, up until that point, up until about a year ago, every month on Twitter – I would get minimum 3,000 new followers, maximum 40,000 new followers, average six to 9,000 new followers a month. Just mm-hmm. not trying, not doing anything, going about my life. That, that was the way it was. And I had experienced that kind of steady growth with some spikes. You know, I joined the Bernie campaign, spike. I published an article, spike, you know, things like that. But steady growth, even if I don't do anything all month and don't tweet very much and go on vacation, easily 3,000 new followers, never less than that. Then about a year ago, Jack starts following me. These things happen in succession. I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but Jack starts following me. The next month, my um, I got I had like six hundred new followers, and then the wow. next month it was like zero new followers, and I've the next month it was in the negative. For almost a year now. Yeah, I've been stuck at three fifty. They won't let me get over three fifty. It's like three forty nine point something. 
Yeah, that's where I'm at. Forty nine point three. I, I think I got really. I got like within ten of fifty thousand, and then I got hit. I lost a thousand followers in like two days. Yeah, yeah. I've been stalled at around eighty five k for a solid year now, and uh, I know, like I can I can pinpoint exactly when it was when everything started plateauing. Was uh, when I made a couple of tweets that went viral about. Uh, misinformation coming from the United States and U.S. backed, uh, like uh, State Department backed entities, about the uh, about um, oppression against Uyghur people in Xinjiang, mm. and I pointed out that a lot of what's being reported is absolute bunk. It doesn't hold up statistically. The uh, the methodology that they use to determine how many Uyghurs are being held in detention and the fact that they hadn't uh, like it created any sort of differentiation between people who were held in detention and people that were. Um, made to go to vocational training, et cetera, et cetera. So when I started like pulling apart all of those aspects of it and uh, tweeting about it, uh, I noticed that my following like stalled immediately. And th- is the same as you, Brie. Like if I if I write an article, if I like uh, tweet stuff, if I'm like watching a TV show and I'm like live tweeting through it, or even if I just like chill and do nothing, I was picking up followers. Mm-hmm. But the moment I started talking about uh, the uh, Xinjiang um, misinformation that was being propagated by uh, everyone from uh, think tanks to nonprofit agencies to the U.S. State Department, that's when my following just plateaued immediately. Yeah. And I, I, I tweeted about this at one point when it was happening. I did so very cautiously, like, look, I don't know what's happening. Let me just show you the screen grabs of my follower account and judge for yourself. And what was most dispiriting was how many ostensible leftists were like, oh, you're just not popular anymore. Don't you know that everybody hits a hits a wall? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, totally. I can understand over a course of maybe like six months to a year, gradually teetering off, but not the cliff that I saw. And some people were like, oh, it's forced the vote. But throughout all of forced the vote, January, February, March, normal growth. It was like, April, May, that the cliff happened. And so I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened. And I, I feel like part of the, part of the trick is that if you talk about it, you get a pile on and they try to pressure you in out of talking about it. And then what I notice is when you look back through the, the Twitter algorithms, which tells you like your most interacted with tweets, your most, um, tr- you know, tweets that got most traction. If I tweet about how I, I'm getting, you know, stifled or whatever's going on. That tweet, despite not getting that the most clicks, actual likes or interactions, is always in the little like um, dashboard as, yeah. as being a notable tweet. Even though, though I can obviously say, no, I, this other tweet this month got 11,000 likes or whatever. Why is that the highest rated, rated tweet this month? Something is wonky. I'm telling you, I can't prove it. And I know it makes me sound crazy. So well, I don't the thing really is, because there's it. a complete lack of transparency from these platforms about how, uh, like, how these metrics are formed, um, I would say for, like, even uh, the amount of ad revenue that you would expect to get based on the amount of views that you get on YouTube Nobody really knows the answer to that because that information is not shared with the content creators. And, of course, for the audience, I mean, people are, uh, have a look at how many views that a particular video got or how many subscribers you have and assume that you're just absolutely rolling in it. But the fact yeah. of the matter is nobody knows what the formula is that determines how much you will actually make based on clicks, based on views or anything. Uh, we, we don't know what exactly you have to do to make your, let's say, YouTubing career take off. And, and Bri, I, so, I gotta say, you don't sound crazy. Yeah. I, I gotta say, like, I, I just, I've seen it too often. I mean, I've done like super advanced analytics. There's a college that reached out to me, and I wish I could remember the name of it. But mm. basically, they were studying 
the YouTube algorithm because they could see what was going on. And they actually started a whole study. It was going to take like several years to complete for obvious reasons. But there are people who are noticing it. Uh, I mean, I remember at one point in 2016, Lee, how, how fast he was growing. I mean, just from mm-hmm. being one of the only people have a show like that popular, kind of like an heir apparent to the Daily Show or whatever, or the Tonight Show, and was just blowing up. And then around 2018, he kind of stifled off. And I wasn't that big yet, but I know, I, I can tell you almost pinpoint at, like maybe two months after that guy told me, no, they're going to kill you, bro. They're not going to let you keep growing because you're growing too fast. That's mm-hmm. when it stopped. And on Twitter, I've experienced the same thing as you guys. And Q, funny enough, I was going to say the worst thing you could possibly do on Twitter is start using facts to back up what you're saying. What you're saying. <laughs> Cause it's almost like they, they even hurt you even more. Oh my God. The, the thing is like, I, and people know, people know that I've got like, you know, uh, bookmarks and folders and a pile of books sitting behind me at all times. Right. So anytime that I say, like, I don't just say things just to be saying them. I mean, I'm pretty sure Bree can attest to this. If I make a claim, there's going to be plenty of information I have at my disposal mm-hmm. to back it up, and I will post screen caps of it. And the you fact call that him I was cute, Tracy Flick, and <laughs> <laughs> no, it's they like call, they always call me uh, uh, customer service worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no, my boy, my boy, uh, my boy Jamel would always say this: like, you know, don't argue with me if you have no citations. And the thing is, I always come with citations. And the fact that. The fact that Q cut out for me. Counter. Oh, oh my God. The, the, the fact, fact that, that you're able what, to. Q? The fact that. The fact that people are able to counter uh, imperialist narratives and uh, show their work when they do it, it makes. It, I know it makes people nervous. I know that my um, my own media availabilities dried up when I started talking about some of the stuff. When I started talking about, for example, that uh, the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, Christian Freeland, has a lengthy history of involvement with uh, far-right nationalist Ukrainian groups and can document it. Like, I, I can show you exactly what the ties are between these organizations and ultranationalists in Ukraine proper, and that she was uh, raised uh, to work with publications that are sympathetic to those far-right ultranationalists. When I do that, people get really upset with me, and then I notice that uh, the requests for me to do Media, I was I used to do uh, CBC's The National with Rosie Barton. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen anymore. Occasionally, I would go on uh, CP24. That no longer happens. It's actually more often that foreign news agencies will call me and either ask me for comment or ask me for an interview than any Canadian ones will mm-hmm. because people don't like that I'm not talking as a crazy conspiracy theorist. I can demonstrate with the information that I've pulled together, uh, and all of this is like easily documented. I mean, the same way that I looked it up, anybody else could. They don't like that stuff um, being presented as a count. Let, let's get some more callers in here. Um, go, go ahead. Uh, you can go ahead, Nico. I, I was going to. I was. No, oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, that was great. Sorry. Go ahead, I just want to say I, I just really think that it's crucial that we form some grassroots communication networks because anybody could just be blipped off of this in a second, and that could change very quickly. Uh, you know. Um, and I feel like we have to get, you know, maybe an analog plan going on. <laughs> yeah, smoke signals, SOS. I don't know. Because at the end of the day, even if there were a leftist, even if Brianna Joy Gray came into a billion dollars and decided to set up my own platform, the way I don't know how the, are we, is the internet still free? Are we still doing net neutrality? Are they going to just shut everything down? Can't they just shut everything down well, at the end of the day? Amazon refuses to host it. Right. Like the way they did with the credit cards over one six, right? Mm-hmm. 
the the app or whatever they shut down so that people couldn't um uh, give to the sorry to the the canadian truckers I mean, oh yeah the gofundme they shut the whole thing down yeah, yeah even, even telegram took off rt so it's like it's I was shocked about that because, like, Telegram has there's there's a bunch of like uh, OSINT channels, uh, open source intelligence channels that that I'm on, that Mm -hmm. is feeding information like uh, both live videos and uh, clipped and shipped videos from like the front lines in Ukraine, and those haven't gone anywhere. So I was a little bit shocked to see that from 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 everything I've read, it's only been RT in the history of Telegram that this has happened to, and that was, and they weren't even going to do this. It took pressure from all the major news publications around the world for them to do it. Mm. So it's like somebody obviously grabbed somebody by the ear and forced them to do it. But that's also just shows you how important it is that we do have these alternatives. Because, I mean, they, RT has mirror uh, accounts on Telegram so that you can still get the same information from there as you would from their regular account. But, like, the only reason that that's that successful is because of, like, that, that inherent network that they've built up over, you know, the last couple of decades. So. I'm sorry, what is Telegram? Telegram is like a messaging. It's kind of like WhatsApp. It's a it's a messaging okay. and uh, like group. But okay. you can like create a channel if you want, right? Which is what RT has. I have that too. Um, and you can people can subscribe to it, and then they can interact on your posts, etc. Watch videos. I see. And the, it's a good way to kind of like, kind of like let a Facebook people page. know. Yeah. Page. Um, uh, kind of like a Discord, probably more so. Okay. Yeah, I was saying it's yeah, it's kind of like a disc. Yo, Nico, Nico, go get you a locals page, Nico. I have locals. I haven't used it in a while. Oh, though, you do? But yeah, okay. I have locals. I just, yeah, I have one, but I haven't used it in a while. Okay, yeah, I'll update your shit, man. Another thing that happened to us, the, the Bad Faith um, Reddit page got shut down within like a week of starting the podcast immediately. <laughs> and so much of these podcasts, they generate like interest by having these really active online forums like that, right? And you can't start your own, you know, Reddit pages are like Wikipedia, like you can't do anything about it, which by the way, if somebody wants to change my wiki photo to something more flattering, I wouldn't hate that. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I, I... You know, like there's these, um, you know, Chapo and Red Scare and a lot of these places, a lot of these podcasts get a lot of their growth from generating online interest in controversial episode topics and stuff. And there fundamentally is nothing on Reddit. There was like a black, it was called like Black Faith. They had like a, they had a, they were were talking about the episodes for a while. But once the mainstream, like in the buzz and the excitement of starting the podcast, it had a, it had a big population and was immediately squashed. And that has genuinely affected the ability for the podcast to grow. I don't know how you would even deal with that. But that's what tele- so that's what Telegram would be a good thing for, right? When Rachel Blevins got, you know, she got kind of like axed, obviously, because of the RT America thing. She had like a Telegram of over like 9,000 or 10,000 subs. So she could easily tell people to go to Rockfin right after. So her starting up her new show isn't going to be as difficult as it may be for some of the people who hadn't created that network. Yeah. I'm actually going to, I think I might like start, uh, yeah, you, you, you're kind of convincing me here. I think I might start backing off of the Twitter stuff because frankly, like it's, it's no fun to be there. Like it yeah. used to be it at was. least somewhat, if, if it wasn't depressing because of what's happening in, in the news and you couldn't really do much about it besides try to like post as much information and counter narrative as you can. Uh, like lately I'm finding that they will ban you for, or suspend you for the slightest infraction now. Like it, it, I, I, I just, I'm fair, I'm firmly convinced that there are accounts that they're on the lookout for that if you like step slightly out of bounds, they're just going to go ahead and suspend your account. And after multiple infractions, they just go ahead and ban your account. So 
Yeah, I think I'm going to start like backing off from there and I don't know, try posting more stuff on Telegram, locals, et cetera, and see how that works out. Because frankly, like, like, are people there? Like, to me, the effort and energy I expend on Twitter, going back and forth with people, debating people, it's only worth it because I I know that there are a lot of eyes on it. And that is, in terms of platforms, that's my most powerful place. The only place that I exist where I am at all relevant (laughs) in the world is on Twitter. And it's difficult for me to bring that up, even though for me, it's not, I've never been banned or anything on Twitter. I mean, I might be shadow banned, but I've never been explicitly banned on Twitter, but I do find that the bot armies are out of control, out of control. I've muted at this point, probably, you know, 10,000 people <laughs> because I know when I go and I log into the bad faith Twitter, I see all oh, the I, shit I know that the, I forget exists. I know the K-Hive people had you in hell. They, I mean, every and, and it's not the KI people have aligned with the anti-force the vote people. By the way, they're all the same. They're all it's the same people with the like you know Ukraine yellow blue hearts in their emojis, and then also like a bee, and also like for some reason deeply in that they say that they're a leftist, and there's like a little communist thingy, hammer and sickle thingy. You know, it's it's like they it's it's so obviously fake, right? I I don't like to call people bots because I do sometimes think people derail arguments by assuming that everybody's arguing in bad faith. But the, I've noticed a pattern with the swarming now, where it's not just if I'm randomly saying something like "Oh, Medicare for all," it's if I say something that's like really obvious, like a really obvious failure of the Biden administration. Like you literally ran on this and you didn't do it. Not me just being a leftist out here in the wilderness where they basically think that our movement is dead and they don't care. It's if I say something, anything close to like the truth, what you can do by executive order, the fact that you ran on a public option and completely, you know, let it go. The stuff around the $15 minimum wage, by the way, that's when the ban started happening. That's when my started to fall off. It was the spring. It was like, March, April, that we really picked up talking about the $15 minimum wage because the parliamentarian decision came out at, out at the end of February. And I was doing big, heavy, Biden could be doing more. They should be attaching this to the must-pass bill. All of that commentary was happening around the time that I got shadow banned. That's neither here nor there. But let's get some more callers in here. I see that. I don't know if Nico is accidentally out or back in. But, yeah, I think um, he might have dropped out accidentally because he's, he's dropped out already. I'll bring um, him back up again, times. but let yeah. me let me get a uh, case. You work in media. You're the clip master. Uh, what do you have to say? Also, thank you, Grace, for all of your commentary. Oops, I'm sorry. I actually make you a speaker case. I didn't mean to do that. I meant to make you a talker. You know what I mean? Make next caller. There you go. Unmute yourself and what's on your mind. Hey, much love to Bree Q and my man Nico. Too bad he, he jumped out, but yeah, I have a quick question before my phone dies um, and, and comment about, so we all would love, I believe, um, and let me know if there's any other solutions that, if we, I believe it's called Title II when um, a, a company declares themselves a utility, like a, a phone company where they're not responsible for, you know, the what's said on their platform. That I think that's the, the solution that a lot of uh, left-wing uh, media pundits want us to go to. And yeah, by the way, I am stuck at 13k on twitter also myself um mm. so my my thing my question and i wonder q if you know or brie if you know that can a app like you know rumble like call in etc can they preemptively declare themselves like hey we are we are adhering to the title two requirements and we so therefore influencers anybody who use our account be fearless don't do not have a worry because we will never do such and such to your account. I wonder if that that can be a thing 
that they can declare on their own. Uh, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know I see Charlie Weiser's ass in here. Maybe he can answer that question for you. No, I'm not going to put him on blast like that. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a call an employee um, that's uh, in the room listening, and I don't I don't mean to call him out like that, but you know maybe we can have a conversation about that and uh, see if, if, get, if anything like that. Is- queue, if he gets in the queue, I'll take that as evidence that he ha- has something to say. Um. But yeah, look, also, I mean, just on its face, I feel like people can say what they're going to say. And I do think that making a proclamation of that sort. I guess the other, the other, uh, it, it almost doesn't really matter what companies declare uh, at, at a point where the content begins to run counter to their financial interests. I, I'm cynical enough to believe that there is going to be some alteration to content guideline policies. So I don't even know how much you can really take any company's word for it. You just have to pay attention to what it is that they do, not what it is that they say. Sorry, I kicked myself out somehow. I don't know how long I was talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I just want to throw in real quick, and then I'll jump out, um, that, yeah, I would love for that as well, Q, that maybe there's some kind of special Title Three. I'm just throwing out a number that's specific for social media and, and for the Internet, where they have a um, regulation that if you are somehow, you know, banned or if you have some kind of strike, you have to be able to be told what was your grievance, <laughs> Like, what was the problem that caused me to get this? Because that's I've tried to contact Twitter like three, four times right now. I'm behind like a, almost like a, a nudity um, disclaimer. If you go to my mm-hmm. account in um, incognito mode. It's a sensitive content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sensitive content that... um. And I'm like, okay, why, when did that happen? Because I was at a point where, you know, I, I love when people retweet me because that's when I get um, a jump in my um, subscriptions or uh, followers and all that stuff. But I got to a point last year where I was getting a good amount of views on my own. Like, I didn't need anybody to retweet me. And then, boom, just like that, it just fell off a cliff. And that's when um, Harlan's media kid told me, like, hey, you know, I'm, I noticed this about your account. You're behind a sensitive uh, paywall, um, not paywall, but wall. And that's when it did it for me. But much love to you all. And I I love this conversation. Have a great one. Thank you, Case. Appreciate it, bro. All right. Hopping around. How about Citizen? I don't think I've seen you around here before. You're the next caller. Unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind. Citizen, are you still with us? The unmute is in the bottom right. Looks like a little microphone slash corn cob. I was there. I was just waiting for it to uh, kind of move me over so that I could unmute. Hey, I love this conversation and where it's actually ended up going, because I've been wondering about some of these issues for a while. Um, What's going on? uh, Twitter was the last thing you you guys were talking about. Um, I follow a guy named Matt Taibbi, which I'm sure you guys all know. And I feel so bad for this guy because I, I, I literally will read. He responds to a lot of this stuff, too. And and it's just it's horrific uh, what what people are doing. You, you can tell they don't really read what he's saying. There's there is like a narrative that that is being followed um, that is just to you know pretty much uh, derail his comments uh, for people make it make him look like he's uh, believe it or not a right wing you know crazy nut uh, because he's against this kind of. Um, left wing. It's not really left wing. I don't see it as left wing. It's it's just under that 
that kind of veil that it's supposedly the left. I, I, I don't actually believe it really. It's, is li- the it's we can it's talk about the lib shit. It's lib it's shit. Yeah, we can say that. Yeah, the, the 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 real left has been gone for quite some time. Hey, um, hey, 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 hey! As a as a communist, is, I, I take heavy exception to that. Q, I know you're there, <laughs> and I, I I know that you guys are socialist and this and that and the other. I have to admit that in, in many ways, I you know from the years I've been around, I found that there's a lot more commonality in people. Yeah, there are extremes, but there's a lot more commonality. And I used to say to people, I go, how can there be two political parties that are diametrically opposed to each other on every single freaking issue? Um, how can that be? I mean, I don't know one human being that's like mm. that. And this is what they are not. We- they are not in any way diametrically no. opposed. Julius Nyerere put it best. He said, America is also a one party democracy, but in typical American extravagance, they have Right. Yeah. And, and, I mean, but I know what but, he's saying. What he's saying is yeah. that they, they, they have this very elaborate theater of issues that honestly don't really matter to anybody, that they are on opposite sides of. Right. And then they are com- completely simpatical when it comes to, I don't know, war. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the things yeah, that do exactly. matter. Yeah. yeah. Anytime we got a military, uh, uh, you know, we can start sending weapons. We're good to go. And I, I think uh, they've, they've been pointing that out a little bit. If you're watching some of the as, as we call it, alternative media. Uh, I think Ryan Grimm actually had a piece in The Intercept where he showed that literally everybody was was saying, you know, when are we going to go, when are we going to start putting weapons in, into yeah. Ukraine? When are it we was... going to start moving, mm-hmm. uh, you know, troops into Ukraine? The Ukrainians are asking for this and don't they know better what they want than, than, than you stupid White House people because you're not helping, you know, support, you know, uh, military industrial complex and get some more Just money going. Just figure out when uh, are we going to get some, you know, some more medicine and cabinets. That's what I was also trying to figure out. It's crazy how we can get yeah. Hey, yo, you all yeah. took, it, it is wild <laughs> that you all failed to pass, or I shouldn't say you all, but like uh, Congress failed to pass a $15 billion budget uh, for COVID relief. And then $13.6 yeah. billion dollars makes its way out of the country for Ukraine. Yeah, right. or, or, or for weeks. the homeless or for, or for anything right. that people actually really want to have taken care of that really need to be taken care of in the society. That's why it's completely backwards. And that's why I think people are abandoning uh, the parties uh, in droves. I mean, I've seen Republicans, Democrats alike that are just they're, they're 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 done with it. You know, it's just like they know that it's all. Uh, you know, like you said, these little narratives that they create that are niche narratives that, yeah, I get some people super riled up, but most of us could give a crap about, you know, it's they're not, or at least in the way that they're being presented and the way that the solutions that they find for them are, are you know, subdiffuge. They're, they're really for something else. Now, one of the other things I wanted to say, because what I'd really like to get to is uh, where, where I think you guys might be headed, because I know I keep hearing Brianna asking, why is this and why is that? Is is where, where why this, uh, you know, what really is behind this? Is it really the uh, big tech overlords or, or is there actually reasons and things that, you know, we can kind of piece a puzzle together that have happened, you know, going back to like when they when when uh, Julian Assange was, uh, you know, basically, you know, you know, put in prison before he was even in prison. They they took his way, uh, you know, away from WikiLeaks to be able to t- uh, take credit card uh, information. This was obviously coordination kind of stuff. And I see some of this, I think, happening um, uh, kind of along the lines of what you were saying, Brianna. I heard Kim Iverson saying that she 
was getting, you know, 100,000 followers. You know, this was YouTube she was talking about. And then she's getting, you know, 100,000 views, this and that and the other. And then all of a sudden when she started to talk about Ivor, uh, I don't know Ivor if I'm Mecton. allowed to say it on Colin. Thank you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, she started to talk about Ivermectin and people that she knew that were vaccine injured and stuff and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, it became, uh, you, you know, an issue. And, and we still have problems addressing certain things. I heard you say, you guys saying, yeah, there's certain things. I know, maybe not Q. I don't know. Uh, but uh, afraid of saying th- certain things because we know that if we do, we're going to, you know, run into problems. Hey. Um, I, Man, I, I, I ain't afraid I, to say. I, hey, I ain't afraid to say shit. I'm a communist, bro. I, I, I'll say what I, I, I figured that. I figured that. But like, can I say too, though, like, found... if you compare the YouTube stuff, like right, so with Kim's situation, one of the reasons she came on the Roxanne was specifically because of that, or maybe some people go to Rumble. It'd be one thing if we just had yeah. YouTube in a vacuum and then someone says you're just becoming less popular. That's an unpopular topic. But when you can go to Rockfin or Rumble or Odyssey, say the exact same thing, and you're getting ridiculous growth compared to normal there for saying that something doesn't right. really add up. Yeah, and, and I actually ended up on Rumble and a lot of these, uh, you know, Odyssey and stuff because, you know, I was, you know, uh, following people like Brett Weinstein. Uh, I was trying to find out because I read uh, Robert F. Kennedy's book uh, on uh, Fauci and I couldn't find him anywhere. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I even brought it up to Glenn Greenwald and, you know, I mean, even he kind of like went around the corner with it, you know, because, you know, oh, he's an obvious anti-vaxxer. But, you know, if you actually listen to the man talk and look at everything he's doing at the Children's uh, Defense Fund, he doesn't say he's he's a anti-vaxxer. He just thinks that there's a lot of problems with the medicines and the way that we are actually implementing it into the system. You well, know, that's what's and so that frustrating. Profit, nobody, you know? nobody is engaging. Like, I kind of wish Nathan Robinson used to read everybody's book and do the do these takedowns i kind of wish someone would read because what happens when you silo these people and the only commentary is anti-vax anti-vax you to the extent that there's even a shred of legitimacy and i have someone very close to me who i love and respect who is smart and not an anti-vaxxer who has some thoughtful things to say about uh rfk junior i i feel like it's too much work for the individual to parse all that through one by one by one so either you end up discounting it altogether because it's just not worth your time or you believe it wholesale, which might also not be appropriate. And the work that's supposed to be done by the quote unquote liberal institutions in these mainstream media just isn't getting done. And, and it does not help anybody, even if you want to disprove him because you think he's causing like people to get COVID and be irresponsible and all this stuff. Yeah. You have to engage. And now the real risk is that if you do engage and you play some primary sources to Nico's point, you'll get asked for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think people are afraid to talk to I got to banned off because... of Twitter for, for posting a, a literal screenshot of the CDC. I literally got, I got banned off of Twitter for, for No way. Days. Wait, what? <laughs> Back when they were telling people not to wear masks? Uh, it was, oh no, it was actually when they changed the amount of cycles that they were recommending and admitted that they had the recommending the cycles to be too high. And so they were given the entire reason as to why they were changing their testing methodology. I just posted the screenshot of that. And everybody, it, it just got. Oh my gosh! Got ba- yeah, got because somebody was arguing with me, but I'm like, no, it's right here. I covered it, and they were like, "Where are you getting that from?" I posted a screenshot. Boom, seven days. Wow. Well, you have to you have to be clever now to to get your your information because it really is it, it really is difficult to find stuff and and find you know brave speakers uh, like many of you on the stage that that are willing to actually talk anymore because you get to a certain level. And I mean, even what happened to Joe Rogan, uh, I mean, everything was fine until, 
you know, I mean, Spotify had a lot of people behind the scenes that didn't like Rogan for this reason he, or the other. He thought that, you know, he was I think it was a transgender thing. He was just talking about a fighter that he thought it was unfair that he was fighting women as a as a, a transformed uh, into a woman. Uh, and uh, yeah, he agreed. He's a woman. But is he re- is it really fair that he should be fighting? He, yeah, that's that's said, no. yeah, that's he like, you know. Yeah, and and so he said no, and he uh, and so there was a lot of people at Spotify. That wanted well, you have to you have a hard time with this one, bro. But it <laughs> didn't, we, we're all familiar didn't. with the story, so we, we don't yeah. we, okay. we don't need to re- rehash that here, especially okay, if we're going to have some difficulty yeah. with our pronouns. But the I, the point, Lance, I understand. We all understand why Joe Rogan got banned, and we've done a couple episodes about it at this point. But yeah, it's it's a it's an across the board problem, and people who are not Joe Rogan pointed out, like Kyle Kalinsky pointed out, that if you were on one of the episodes that got pulled, then that's your content too, like that's your appearance too, that's relevant to you as well. And he wasn't even sure what it was in, in his episode on Rogan that got pulled because certainly they weren't talking about any of that. But even right. having that ambiguity ho- hanging in the air to a point that was made earlier, I forget which of you said it has a curbing effect on the things you're willing to say. That was cute. That was cute. Right. Saying, yeah. Well, and he didn't, where I was headed was he went, he didn't really get pulled by Spotify until he had Dr. Malone on. Uh, you know, I mean, it was like, even though people at yeah, Spotify, so this kind of goes around to the last question I'll ask, which really is, do you guys really believe it's the uh, big tech overlords? Or do you think that this is stuff that has been coordinated or is very smart people that realize what was coming down and they're saying to themselves, look, we have a choice. We can either do what we know, uh, you know, the, the political side wants done or they're going to do it for us. I'd say what's the difference? Yeah, I think well, we can Occam's, I think we can easily Occam's razor this one. And that is what is in our best financial interests? So is it in the financial interests of any company? To be hauled before Congress and have accusations levied against well, them. Well, considering how uh, of much, any kind. like Facebook seems to hit a boom and they get more power after every yeah. time they go in front of Congress, it seems like it'd be great for you. I mean, yeah, yeah, because Congress <laughs> Congress will say, "Well, you've acted irresponsibly, and we expect you to do this," and they actually end up giving them even more power. But the optics of it don't don't look good from like a PR standpoint. Uh, it, it really comes down to a matter of how are advertisers going to respond and. Is this going to get us in trouble with the law? Are we going to find ourselves hauled in front of Congress to answer a bunch of questions that we don't want to answer? So I think we can dispense with the idea of like uh, some sort of like Illuminati scheme on the part of tech overlords. And I think it really just comes down to what are their financial interests? Like, for example, Twitter for a number of years when Donald Trump was saying things that were, I mean, mean, granted, as funny as I found them, they were very blatantly (laughs) in violation of their terms of service. Mm -hmm. So uh, the moment that it became apparent that he was not going to win the election. You know, he hadn't been uh, he hadn't been uh, removed as president and Joe Biden hadn't yet been inaugurated. They just simply got rid of Donald Trump the moment that it appeared that his tenuous grasp on power was permanently lost. So they, they got rid of his ass. But the entire time that he was president, they refused to do so because they thought it was in the public interest, whatever he's saying. Now, is it no longer as an ex-president is yeah, what he says I would even no longer in the public so interest? Yeah. And they were, they were doing that across the board, right? Anything that was engaging Donald Trump, even if they were calling for violence against Donald Trump, they were allowing it because of what you just said, right? It's almost like within their financial interest to do so. But then you have situations where they act where it's seemingly against their financial interest. So remember they used to have the fleets? On I Twitter? love fleets. Oh, they were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and they just ran. I know when it, I remember the day it happened because literally the day that I got put on to RT, the, the, the same day it happened, actually, I was going to announce. And then... Twitter takes down the fleets. And in the article, the day it comes out, or the day they take it down, they say, we actually don't know why Twitter took it down. They were getting more revenue than they had. Uh, they were getting more engagement. Everything that they had put the fleets out there to do, 
it was doing it better than they had even expected. And so, and they never really got an answer as to why they took down the fleets. Yeah, fleets were great for me. I like I said, like it's not just the number of followers that I feel like got capped. By the way, I get alerts every day, like you know, twenty five new followers, da, da da da, multiple times a day. That if you counted it all up, for a while there, I was like screen grabbing them to go back and like reverse manufacture how many new followers I was getting in a given day, like hundreds, you know. And then I got lazy and I stopped doing it. But but um, it's also the engagement on my actual tweets. So like. And again, it's hard. Like, maybe I just fell off. Maybe I'm not spicy or interesting anymore. It's possible. But I I very rarely have a tweet that does numbers anymore. When it used to be very, very regular to have a, d- a double-digit tweet, you know, mm. for, like, saying almost nothing. And what I found with fleets is that I could, like, sit, for example, this this call-in tonight, I, I would know, do a fleet with just... it. What if I would, you just I would, fell off? I would put, what, maybe if, I fell off. what if your tweet's <laughs> not banging like that no more? Maybe it's possible, but with the fleets, I could put something like, oh, I'm doing a call-in tonight in a fleet, just like I do an Instagram story. And it, my, the people who follow me see it the same way on Instagram. Like the people that you're checking for all the time are up, up front in your stories. It prioritizes the people you like and follow. And so I was noticing a lot of engagement, and you could see the algorithm mm-hmm. just like on Instagram, thousands and thousands, tens that of thousands would, of eyes on it. I would get more views on a, on a fleet sometimes than I would get in a tweet. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, when people see, oh, I didn't even know Nico had tweeted. Well, I'm glad I follow his fleets all the time. Yeah. So let me go re- like and retweet that so other people can see it. And I think that truly that was the issue. It wasn't it was it wasn't hurting the platform. I th- but they have all the I mean, how much money can Twitter possibly make at this point? Like they're making ridiculous amounts of money and they're being protected seemingly by the government while they do so. So I doubt that they took a big hit by getting rid of the fleets. And even if they did, they're basically saying we prioritize censoring information and accounts that could be putting out information that may, you know, may not be acceptable uh, in the status quo than making money. That's literally I think it's, I think, I mean, we can boil it down to something very, very simple, uh, which I've noted multiple times. And that's that uh, Twitter safety is working with a number of institutes, think tanks, um, NED sponsored organizations and organizations that are literally sponsored by the arms industry. Uh, one of them being the Australian, Australian Strategic Policy Institute, ASPE that they monitor what they call disinformation or bot accounts. And if it turns out that people are, for example, uh, tweeting in support of, let's say, a Mexican healthcare initiative, or people are talking about uh, what is happening in certain regions of China, especially where it came to COVID and Tibet and Xinjiang, uh, if people are uh, tweeting from Russia or about uh, foreign policy relating to Russia, the ASPI, as well as Cazadores de Fake News, and a couple of other organizations, which were all like like heavily spooked out, um, they were openly admitting that they were taking down not only tweets, but taking down accounts that were suspected of being "quote unquote" bots. Mm-hmm. Even if it was people that uh, remember the um, that SOS Cuba bullshit that happened last year. Oh, I mean, yeah, there, were, yeah. there were yeah, there were people that were literally tweeting from Cuba <laughs> saying like, "Yo, like this is not a Cuban-backed initiative. This is and some they were like." Taking them down. Yeah, this is some American-backed fake shit. This is not an actual protest movement. And, yeah, those accounts were getting to – even one lady that um, her uh, her picture um, at a protest was used by – They were trying to say used she by, was for the SOS Cuba. Yeah, yeah. It was used by CNN else. to say that she was pro-SOS Cuba, and she responded in a tweet like, no, actually, it's not. I am pro – like, I am pro-Castro. I am pro this government. I am not with SOS Cuba. And they banned her account. Now. They banned her. Yeah. Yep. For saying that. SOS? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, no, no, for saying that she's not for, with SOS Cuba. For so, correcting – for literally correcting the record. 
Yeah, so it, it, like it's, it, it is perhaps against, it, it perhaps does cut against some of their financial interests. But I think once you relinquish a degree of control that people have more transparency as to like who is actually seeing their content, who's following their content, and so on and so on. Like the, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen how Twitter changed its um, uh, metrics such that previously you could find out um, what percentage of your followers and people who interacted with you are male, what percentage are female or otherwise identified, which geographic region they're interacting with your tweets from, what is their household income, what is their, uh, what's their profession, and so on. You had actually like a great degree of transparency as to who it was that was following and interacting with your stuff. And about two years ago, they got rid of all that. And I think part of the reason is that they, like, being able to see behind the curtain as to how it is that they're possibly gaming uh, your uh, or juking the stats to make sure that you're not being seen by X amount of people. So if you're noticing that, for example, you're uh, getting a lot of uh, engagement from people who live in, I don't know, fucking Delaware or some shit, and all of a sudden it just drops right the hell off, you might ask, well, yo, what the hell's going on with that? So rather than be able to answer those questions, Twitter just gets rid of all those metrics. I would also like to point out, by the way, I'm looking at my algorithm for the first time because you're mentioning it. I made another negative follower a month. I'm down 55 followers this month, 289 over the last 28 days. That's been the pattern. There was some uptick at the end of last year where I was picking up, again, like 1,800 or so followers a month. But I, there's a huge clip of negative 1,200 followers, which is the most I've ever seen, not that I'm checking on a regular basis, in October when I would like to say, again, I was doing a lot of coverage on the failure of Build Back Better. A lot, a lot of legislative Biden criticism failure coverage. And that seems to also be what was happening when the cliff first happened last March. And well, maybe, again, maybe I the answer anything. to that, maybe you got to stand Jin Saki and Luna, you know, start <laughs> getting in with the liberals and K-pop groups. Maybe that'll, that'll fix your little red wagon. And, and by the way, yeah, the other you, thing you, is I continue to pick up high profile followers. Like they can't erase if a blue check follows me. Right. So this, the same month, like John Cena followed me, like, like Ju- Justin Amish followed me. Like they're I, like, those are still here. So people are still seeing and obviously following, but for people who aren't these blue checks, I think they're just disappearing. I mean, or maybe not, maybe again, I just fell off and, and all of these celebrities still want to follow me and the blue checks still want to follow me, but it's just normal people who think I've fallen off. I don't know. I so don't are know. you thinking that, are you thinking that these are like a lot of bots that are actually, they, they, they come on and, and they come and then they, they leave. To, to that's part of it. Or... So, so in my experience, it's partially that, but also some people are forcibly unfollowing, like being forcibly unfollowed, or they're being forced to unfollow you because people reach out to me regularly. Yeah, I, mean, I see that too. My wife say, literally I, was like I, yeah. the other day telling me like, "Yeah, I get like, that one a lot." Show. Like asking if they so, if you soft block them, right? Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my wife was like, she was like, "I'm not following your page anymore." I don't know why. I'm like, well, "Why are you not following me for?" She's like, "I don't know. I haven't done anything. I haven't even been on this account." So it's like. They, oh, that's weird. Oh, yeah. No, it happens often. Like, I get DMs about it regularly. Once I see twice people a week. talking about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's like, yeah, you could say sometimes maybe it's just a hiccup in the system. But once again, like, especially given what we do, like, how many coincidences can there be before it's like, <laughs> okay, maybe it's not exactly a coincidence. And yeah, we no. all can be falling off at the exact it's, same exactly. time. It just doesn't make like, sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> when I more people been... are listening and paying attention to politics than ever before, all of a sudden everybody yeah. who talks about this stuff who's experienced exponential growth in the past is falling off. That doesn't and make and that's sense. the thing. I am not someone who has a Twitter following because, you know, I started a CW show or got famous overnight or something like that. I was 
uh, in 2017, like a 200 follower account, like the end of 2016, New Year's Eve 2017 was when I hit 500 followers. I remember it vividly because I got a retweet from Eddie Wong. <laughs> so that, that's what got me to 500 followers. And so I, I have experienced very gradual growth into, you know, the, 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 you know, 60, it was like, I was around 60 before I joined the intercept. And then that was a big bump. Right. But until that, I was a private citizen. I was a private citizen doing a little bit of journalism, but doing uh, being a private citizen. And so I really felt how organic that growth is. I know what the patterns are like. I know what that's, that feels like. And I never in my entire life, even when I was an anonymous human experienced negative growth. And now I'm supposed to think that that's normal. Now I mean, when you I'm having Rokata on my get, show and I'm, and I'm you yeah. get like negative fault. People follow you just to hate on you. Like, like that's hell. I'm saying like a lot Correct. of people, a lot of followers just to hate <laughs> on you. Right. So it's like, who's, but then you're finding out, like I said, that people who love your show will be unfollowed or unsubscribed from you. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, I, I get this. I get that all the time. I, I get people literally e- like emailing me and messaging because my signal number is on my Twitter profile uh-huh. and, and people will message me on signal and be like, hey, man, like, I, I really uh, hate to ask you this. And sorry if I'm out of line, but did you soft block me? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure what I did wrong. And they're, they're at, like, they're approaching me apologetically like they did something wrong. And I'm like, I, I don't like unless it was uh, like. Uh, somebody that they follow did something wildly aggressive and I just like blocked all of them. Like it could be that I, I did like a chain block and got rid of a bunch of people, which I know happens, but I haven't done that in a very long time. Like I haven't done a chain block in a long time. Cause childhood je- je- friends on yeah. Facebook who used to follow yeah. my, like my public page, like, they're like, hey, man, uh, can you, like, how do I like your page? I'm like, why? You're like, well, I don't like it anymore. I don't know why. I haven't yeah. even done anything. And I thought it was weird. So they went to go. They saw me on YouTube. And they're like, oh, why don't I see his updates anymore on Facebook? They go and check. And they're not yeah. following me anymore. But they're still friends with me on. Yeah. Like, let's, let's, by okay. the way, let's, let's, I, I think we, we, we all feel very aggrieved. Before yeah, yeah, we do yeah. another cycle, yeah. I feel very aggrieved. Let's just get some callers <laughs> in here. Andre. Awesome. Thank you, citizen, by the way. Uh, Andre, what's on your mind? I'm not picking up. Oh, hey. How's it going, guys? Good. It's going well. What What are you thinking about all this? Should we all, um, are you going to follow us all over to Rumble? What's happening? Um, actually, I've been giving a lot of thought about that. Um, just in terms of being someone who considers themselves long-term uh, leftist, uh, like where is a place that we can congregate? Because obviously the way that um, the regular media is working or even social media is working, we're all ending up into these uh, echo chambers anyway, but the only problem that we have opposed to the right is that we have people that are supposedly on our side or supposedly want the same things that we want that ostracize us. Like we're too stupid, too idealistic, too naive, and uh, needed to be shouted down. So where do we go? Because obviously it's not really Twitter. It's not really Facebook. It's really not Instagram. So the idea of another media or another space to go to sounds very appealing to someone like myself. Um, and I know that I'm not alone in that. I just don't um, particularly know how to monetize that um, other than like, you know, what we've been doing as far as like Patreon. Cause I know that you guys need to eat, right? Like I'm in finance. So, you know, very attuned to money, very attuned to, you know, Andres the in finance needs to be given $10 a month. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a mortgage. You get five. That's it. Son. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like, you know, just like seeing how it all pans out or how it all kind of structures itself. 
you do have to wonder um, like what the avenue or the path is. Like, is it, is it a word of mouth type of thing? And then what does that look like? Cause like, if we're all on an island together discussing things amongst ourselves, like how do we draw new people in and will that be I, allowed? I'm going to say, uh, I actually am a, a bit against the idea of a, like a leftist focused social media for a couple of reasons, uh, or like, a um, like people have suggested that why don't we, I don't know, create socialist media. I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Means TV, One, someone brought up means TV in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, let me not, let me not get anybody in. in say your truth, say your piece. I find means TV really twee and I'm not really, I'm not exactly sure what it is that they're out to accomplish exactly. Um, it just, I don't know. One thing that really turned me off about them was after it, uh, after uh, Bernie, um, uh, conceded the the primary and mm-hmm. suspended his campaign. Um, Means TV then uh, sent out an email blast to all subscribers and supporters, etc., saying like, "Hey, you know, we know that this, this is really disappointing, but if you want to watch some things that will uh, lift your spirits and get you back uh, into the like, I don't know, it, it was it was just like this, like, hey, you know, we know that everything sucks right now, but come watch some of our stuff." And I was like, "Really, dog? Like, that's especially uh, since we were." Um, not even at the point in the pandemic where a vaccine was even on the horizon, uh, that that sort of advertising I thought was really crass. And it just, it, I don't know, it just came across to me as doing the same old lib shit, like, hey, let's like be part of the Cool Kids Club. And not really like, uh, and a lot of the advertising I think had sort of gotten under my skin, but this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Is that yeah, like, are you, are you actually trying to build socialism or are you trying to build like a... Uh, like a designer consumer base. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't I don't remember that in particular, but I do remember right after Bernie dropped out, it wasn't a world where it seemed implausible that something would happen. I don't mean this in that Hillary way that she was wishing death to Obama, but that something might happen that would thwart his chances at the presidency between then and now and that Bernie might have to pop in. Remember, it was Tara Reid came out like two or three weeks before the end of the campaign. We weren't allowed to talk about it or touch it, but it was percolating out here in the streets. There were... Yeah, obviously, COVID seemed to be changing the reality of the, the, the some of the primaries had gotten postponed. It wasn't really clear what, how it was all going to go down. And so the, the quick pivot to, oh, now we're all friends of Biden was dispiriting when it came from the Bernie campaign. Yeah. I imagine from independent socialist media, that's even more frustrating. It was. And so like um... – but I, I, I didn't want to get on that tangent to, to bash Means TV. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're, they're I don't good think people. That's bad. I think that's like legitimate criticism. And I, and I hope to have them on and we can all talk about this together because I think a lot of us had a lot of hope, a hope yeah. and still have hope for Means TV, especially since, I mean, I know people have mixed feelings about this now, but it was their viral ad that really put AOC on the map. And, you know, there's obviously yeah. potential and talent there. It's for just sure. who is it geared to? And so you're making this point about siloing. Right. And right. yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to say is that like, um, it, the internet is beginning to return to the walled garden structure that existed back in like the AOL slash Netscape days. And it's, I mean, wait, what's it, it AOL on Netscape? Get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> Listen, I don't know how, I don't know how old you are. I'm looking at your profile picture and I'm I, uh, from this uh, childhood photo that you got up. I'm assuming that you know about having to, I don't know, like, cop a cd from a friend that you would install <laughs> in your computer and get 15 oh, free hours of internet yeah exactly CD, yeah. Speaking of. get out of here uh but the, the point i'm trying to make is that like um at that at that point in time uh you know you had to 
like go places to find communities on the internet. So you had like your um, you had your forums, you had like ICQ, uh, you had like AOL chat rooms, you had like a multitude of places where you could sort of like find a crowd and fit in. But there wasn't really like, I don't know, like a, an equivalent to like a Greek Agora or something like that, where like everybody was just hanging out. And I think um, there can't like there should be a healthy return to uh walled gardens like blogs and certain communities and so on my issue with trying to fit uh socialist politics or even left politics broadly into a walled garden is that the people like it doesn't do any good to be talking to people that already agree with you the entire point of socialist politics is to help people to understand things like dialectical materialism to understand labor theory of value like to get people to understand how capitalism is grinding them down to nothing and extracting all of the profits that it can from our labor and from exploitation. And you're not going to be able to do that broadly if you're um, organizing yourself into closed off spaces. And then the second thing is that I think people give the internet way too much credit for its ability to rapidly organize. I think if you're trying to spread the word about a particular uh, event or protest or action or something of that sort, it's really good. But if you're trying to do your organizing on the internet, I very heavily advised against that. That is not the kind of thing that you really want to do out in the open. Yeah, but Anthony, don't you think, like, even listening to you and even listening to the people that end up on this show and, you know, the people that frequent this, isn't our biggest issue is that everyone's too educated, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way, but, like, the problem that we have on the left more so than the right is that our messaging requires a certain education level that you don't necessarily see the right list. No, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. I mean, you know, the the, the 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 Chinese Communist Party was educating peasants, and the Cuban Revolution took people from like zero literacy to ninety-eight right. literacy. Pedagogy so, of I, the oppressed, like, yeah. really knocks a line through all of that. The whole point yeah. is, in that book, is not it's it's sophisticatedly written, but it's small. And in the foreword, they're like, I gave this to my high school. I give this to people, and they understand it because they understand. You don't have to explain to working people in the way that you have to explain to libs. Like it is mm. so much harder to explain to libs. Like, like the ba- you don't have to look, look. If you go on TikTok, if you go to the comments of the shade room, if you go anywhere where there's regular people, they understand very well what exploitation is going. This whole Gen Z, young millennial TikTok culture where they're talking about how they do, they do not aspire to labor, do not dream of labor, and all of this shit. Like they get it. That that's not the issue. They get but it. But they and don't I, vote. Those aren't the people we have to appeal to. Unfortunately, like I agree. Like yeah, the younger generation is amazing. But I mean, I was joking before, like people in like, you know, millennial generation, like, you know, someone like me who's, you know, a geriatric millennial, like just looking around, even myself and coworkers and people within my own circle, it's... Those are lips. Yeah, I mean... But I, I wasn't bringing the t- up TikTok to talk about young people. I was bringing up TikTok to talk about people who don't have resources. Oh, TikToking about the, how they don't have resources. Yeah, yeah. All people aren't on TikTok because they're not on TikTok, but they're still out here. Joe Rogan's audience are not some like teeny boppers. There are a bunch mm-hmm. of people who are listening to Joe Rogan because they're in a truck for 12 hours a day driving across the country. Right, right, right. But those people tend to be more right-leaning. I think the problem, like... No, no, no. I, mean, I don't think they tend to be more right-leaning. I think that they're only getting a critique of the system from the right. And I think that's Q's point, that if we have mm-hmm. an integrated media system where we are kind of sitting there side by side by me- with Megyn Kelly or Coleman Hughes or... You know, uh, Joe Rogan, that though there's transfer between those audiences. I will tell you the biggest pickups I've had this year in terms of new audiences is when I interviewed Andrew Sullivan and when I interviewed Glenn Lowry. And 
it's a, I, I, the best kind of comment that I get, the, my favorite kind of comment to get in my inbox is, I found you from listening to those shows, and I appreciate that you were just willing to talk through issues, and I've come around, and I, I think I agree with you more now than with them. And that is not happening mm-hmm. on Pod Save America. <laughs> no, they'll, they'll get mad at you for doing an interview with, uh, what's his face? Uh, home, homeboy that like threw his friend out of the French villa. Oh, my God. oh, Thomas Chatterton Williams. They, they, yeah, they, Thomas Chatterton. <laughs> By yeah, the way, I'm doing a lecture in. with him in Colorado in a couple weeks. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, like people people get mad at me for doing a podcast with Glenn. They get mad at me because yeah. uh, Michael Michael Tracy has guested on the show. And I'm, and yeah. the thing that I've said to them is like, okay, so what the what are you out there doing right. to uh, build revolutionary capacity? Like, are you out there talking to people that might not otherwise listen to you? Because I do a hell of a lot of that both online and offline. And if, uh, if, if your entire like political um, strategy revolves around finding people that already halfway or fully agree with you and mobilizing them into some sort of like, I don't know, revolutionary vanguard, I mean, good luck. It hasn't been accomplished in America or Canada or the UK that way so far. What makes you think it's going to work? Right. So then how do we do that? Because like, I'm listening to you and you guys are making some really good points and it makes me hopeful in one uh, respect. But then I'm also thinking, how do we necessarily get these type of people together you know like to i think we got to join rockfin like i came in here ambivalent we got to join i am <clears> after <throat> having this rumble like both you know doesn't the whole point i know it's have uh, you, i know in, in all seriousness uh it, it became very apparent to me how important this is because um my tw- at the at the time when i was promoting a um a fundraiser to help get um black students out of ukraine like they were literally trapped in eastern ukraine and didn't have any way out and i was trying to raise awareness of this and i had to do it from a backup account that had less than two thousand followers as opposed to like my main account which has like eighty-seven thousand odd followers um i wasn't able to do that because i was suspended for seven days mm. you know so it's like it, it, and at this at the time that that was happening that's when uh everyone from like aaron mate to Abby Martin, uh, Danny Haifong, Lee Camp, and everybody was finding that their videos were being taken down, that they were, they were being uh, removed. Asa Winstanley got suspended off of Twitter altogether. So uh, it is really important to diversify where you're putting your content. You can't just leave it on any one platform. And as I say, make sure that you're backing it up. Like download your Twitter archive, download your archive of information, I would say at least on a quarterly basis. You yeah, you can, da- you can download your, your entire Twitter archive. Um, and I do that right there. Like, Oh no, I, I, (laughs) (laughs) no, on a regular basis, I will, I will delete all of my tweets. But before I do that, I download my entire Twitter archive so that I have access to all of those old tweets. And yeah. And, uh, um, uh, if you, if you have everything sort of like sequestered onto a single platform, they can silence you very easily by just nuking your account. But if you have it mirrored or migrated to uh, platforms that you trust, then the ability to shut you up is much, it's, it's mitigated. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andre. Um, I'm going to try to get some more callers in here, but I appreciate you. Thank you guys. Thank you. All right. Let's get Karen C feeling bad for the Karen. Sometimes one of my best friends from law school is an Egyptian woman named Karen. And I know what's hard out here right now. Oh my God. The Karen's (laughs) Karen's are going through some rough times. And I, yeah, I'm a middle-aged white lady, so I really have to, I, you know, I just have to accept it. Yeah, if you, listen, if you, um, if you drive a Subaru or a Volkswagen, I'm sorry for you. Oh. Oh. I'm a mom, and yeah, 
Um, so, but yeah, and it was my son who told me about the Karen meme and I didn't believe him at first. <laughs> like, I just didn't think it was a thing. Um, and then I realized it was, and it's okay. I he should have left you in ignorance. I don't know why he was trying <laughs> to put you on you like know, that. I, like... I eventually found it out through Twitter, you know, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, it Damn, she, little, yeah Karen, okay. she can't she can't shop at Anthropology no more. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, and I don't. <laughs> I do. Okay, yeah, hashtag but... not all Karens. Not <laughs> all you. Karens. That's so what, sweet. Thank you. What, what's on your mind, Karen? <laughs> well, first of all, this is the first time I've gotten to talk to you. I've, like, dreamed about doing it eventually, but I'm usually, like, making dinner or walking the dog. So, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you, Bree. You're one of my favorites. Oh, um, thank you. I really look forward to Mondays and Thursdays. It's just, like, first of all, this gives me hope. Right. Mm. Everything you are doing and talking about gives me hope. Um, and I'm excited about that. <laughs> um, I need more of that. But I wanted to kind of touch on, I think, something that maybe Carol might have been leading toward earlier. And it's mm. something that Richard Wolf talked about once <laughs> on one of your shows. The idea of workplaces formed as collectives. And mm. in my head, you know, I've started like reading more about anarchism. I like the concept of anarchism, you know, the collective groups of people working on direct action, that kind of thing. Mm. And so it would be so cool. You know, I love supporting you. I love supporting, like through you, I learned about Champagne Sharks and I support mm. them. I do mutual aid nice. and stuff. But, <laughs> and when I learned about Q from Trevor, you know, like, you know, it's just like this web of people I keep getting introduced to. If you guys ever decided to like form a collective of some kind where supporting this collective gave money to Katie Helper and to, you know, um, uh, you know, Matt Taibbi or whoever or, or Jordan Sheridan or somebody like that, mm -hmm. you know, like if you had a group of people and you could decide, you know, do you just want leftists or do you want to diversify, you know, because I... I did go and I went to listen to your interview with Megan Kelly and it mm -hmm. wasn't bad. You know, it was sort of interesting. She's kind of funny, you know. Yeah, I kind um, of feel like the two of us would have a great show. <laughs> it would be really entertaining. She was really Oh my god. Like like the Tucker She's... like the Tucker Carlson yeah. uh, what's his name show the southern guy with the bald head they used to have Crossfire kind of like Crossfire. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I was like <laughs> that's something I was thinking about today cuz I was like on maternity. No, James Carville was a guest on that. On. It was uh it was Tucker yeah. Carlson and Paul Begala, yeah. Oh, Paul Begala, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. occasionally James Carville and uh, Robert Novak, the Prince of Darkness. Or Paul Begala. <laughs> yeah, Paul Begala was the co-host, yeah. I used to watch that back in the day. Like, I watched it every day, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But anyway, um, but it would, it would be really cool if you ever thought, you know, there was a way that you guys could all make it happen. Like, I would gladly, you know, I can't, in, I can't in good conscience, like just give everybody 10 bucks, you know, yeah. that I'd love to, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't. Um, uh, when I tell you, know. you, I have been, I have been like a, like an, uh, like a new Testament, uh, evangelist, you know, like, 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 I don't know, John the Baptist, you know, w walking around in my burlap sack in my shaggy hair, preaching to people on the left that it is our responsibility to get out of these silos and start forming collectives because you're right. Like, People are not going to be able – you can only split your wallet so many different ways. And you can't support everyone's Patreon. You can't support everyone's um, – like uh, become a Twitch subscriber to everyone. So you have to start making some decisions as to who you can support and who you can't within your Unless budget. Unless you're in finance, in which case he's just <laughs> making which, excuses. Yeah, exactly. Just give us all your money, bro. No, but but it's, but it's, it's true. And the thing is like people on the left, I mean – 
for the most part, like we're not, we don't really make a lot of money. So yeah, I think it is um, incumbent on people who create to find ways to amalgamate their content so that, I mean, obviously it's got to work out for us. Like we have to make a living as well, but at the same time, keeping the audience in mind that there's only so much that they can do to yeah. yeah. So isn't, isn't the, this is, this isn't the whole thing with Rockfin is that they, this is what I, this is what I understood was that they're trying to build a roster of people that have exactly that. So, so these platforms, they make money, not just off. I mean, they obviously make money off of like advertising on all these things, but they need to build a content catalog. So it's like even call it like they offer inducements to people to come on, but ultimately they're able to offer your content and stream it on Spotify and all of these other things. And we'll put ads in it and stuff eventually. And that's how they were going to make money. So what they say at Rockfin is there is money that is made that is not coming directly from you, the subscriber to me, the content producer that comes from advertising and all the other things. And by putting us into a collective and having people pay marginally more to be, have access to everyone in the collective if someone comes in for Katie Halper, let's say, and then it gets introduced to me, or someone comes in to, for me and gets introduced to Champagne Sharks, per your example, then I'm not only getting money from the subscribers that are coming to me, I'm getting subscribers, I'm getting money for the people that I brought in for camp- Champagne Sharks because it's growing the overall audience and it's funneling back to my benefit as well. And so th- my understanding is that's Rockfin's whole thing. Okay. And moreover, I think that um, Crystal has been trying to um, Crystal and Sagar have been trying to have partnerships with some lesser known YouTube creators to try to give them an algorithm boost by having them regularly on their show. So she obviously has a relationship with David Sirota and the Daily Poster and a few other more well-known people, but they've also found some folks that are like relatively minor on YouTube that, they're, that they found and they like their content and started doing like regular segments with in order to try to have an algorithmic community, even though it's not anything official. Oh yeah, when are they going to find me? <laughs> I don't know. They, Crystal tried with me, but you know me; I'm all over the place, and I couldn't I get know. my act together and produce any additional content. So yeah, yeah. That would be, yeah. yeah, that would be great. So if, if you go, so Rockfin is what it's called. I would gladly go over. To yeah, with me. a with no C, right? R O K F R O K. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. I yeah I appreciate you. I just wanted to yeah thanks for taking my call. I guess I just wanted to throw that out there. I would be super excited to have all of you guys together and support you all at once so yeah of course thank you for calling in karen thank you by the way do you remember um q there was at one point also a venture that was happening i want to say summer of 2020 some folks i think they were they had money from like you know there's that one progressive disney air i think it was like money from there and they were trying to start a progressive like channel that would stream on like the cable shows like on the you know cable package or something it was called I forget what it was called. The last like major progressive venture that I can remember was Air America Radio. And although it did give us some interesting personalities, like many mm-hmm. of whom are still well known, like Sam Cedar, I think would probably be the most famous among them. Janine uh, Garofalo? Was... <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that to me. Um, no, but, but it ultimately was a bust because it is very, it's difficult to make money selling progressive politics. I remember like watch or listening to, America Radio, and I was hearing advertisements for like some like Icelandic skincare treatment. You know what I mean? It, it's mm-hmm. not like you're not going to get. Obviously, you don't want it, but you're not going to get like Raytheon money, and there's all kinds of money in like oil and gas, and you know, uh, technology and weapons manufacturers, and so on. So, it, yeah, it, it's it's difficult to um, make money in that atmosphere. And when people on the left do find ways to game their content that it falls within 
certain guidelines um, and you know, those uh, high numbers with advertisers, then when the when the messaging itself gets ahead of what it is that the company ultimately wants to portray, then yeah, the uh, the content gets banned. So you know, you'll, I think probably one of the the worst offenders for this is Twitch, uh, where people will make them plenty of money, um, but if their message gets a little bit too far out of bounds for them, they will just get rid of their content altogether. Yeah, that's wild. I haven't really had an experience with um, Twitch, but I am planning to get a desktop soon, partly because we're we're transitioning producers. Ben is going on hiatus, so that's part of why I'm sorry. I know people have been asking, where's the Abby Martin video? It's late because we are auditioning new producers and stuff, and so everything's a little bit dragging. But um, what am I talking about? Why did I get distracted by that thought? What was I even saying? Uh, blah, 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 blah. What was I even talking about? <laughs> we were talking about we were talking about Twitch and and how oh like, Twitch uh, oh so I'm yeah, doing a desktop guess, partly yeah. because I'm like afraid that I'm gonna have to do some of my own editing which I uh, gratefully am able to do because I used to edit my own podcast before all of this but you know so I'm getting a desktop and I'm like okay now that I have a more powerful machine I'm gonna start twitching but now you guys are all kind of creeping me out because I you know when you are doing a podcast you can edit and you don't have to be as careful with what you say because it's not live and now I'm concerned. I don't know. Like it, it does. Um, I think uh, Jonathan was saying down in the chat earlier that this is like a concept that Orwell wrote about and how it is going to affect our ability to feel like we can to speak freely. And it makes us just seem less fun, to be honest. Yeah. And there's also like having to manage uh, increasingly parasocial relationships. So, you know, your audience feels like they know you as a person because they spend so much time with you and they like see your face and they agree with the things that you're talking about. And then they begin to develop like over familiar relationships. I don't know that there's any platform out there that encourages, well, maybe TikTok does as well, but uh, there are very few platforms out there that do this as much as Twitch does. Like it, it gets to the point where people are endangered by being. Oof. Okay. Um, let's hear from No War. I have to go because I'm also supposed to be on, yeah. I'm also supposed to be on T's show. Uh, so. No, you're going to drop now. I was just actually about to tell yeah. you that you don't have to feel compelled to do this marathon with me. We're at two hours. No, no, no. <laughs> I got I to see that. All right. Thank you, Q. All right. Much appreciated. All right. No war. What's on your mind? Hey, Bree. It's, it's Chris. How are oh, you? Oh, it's Chris. Free Assange Chris. How you doing? Yes. It's got to be no war now because that's more important. Um, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well. What's on your mind this evening? Hey, I was... I was uh, I was hoping to hear from more of the guys about it, and but um, I'm sorry also, to disappoint, Chris. <laughs> no, I just you don't always have a big panel like that, and I I uh, I've never spoken to Nico before. But um, um, one thing on like you know there was some talk about having I think more from callers than than you guys, but about having like a uh, a leftist space, and I just think what's most important is a free, free speech space. And I'd love to see you on Rumble in that vein. I think that'd be a, a great move because um, YouTube's really scary right now. But the one positive thing that I wanted to ask you and hear—I um, was hoping to hear Lee's Lee say something about it—but um, was Jimmy got to a million, a million. subs last night? last night and you know 
uh, Kyle Kalinske has been at like 974 and stuck for so long. And, uh, you know, Jimmy was stuck for quite a while, and they finally let him hit a million. I was just wondering why you think they let him. It seemed like the algorithm was blocking it just the way, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Twitter uh, Twitter shadow bans and with their algorithm. And why do you, why are they letting Jimmy up? And Russell know, Brand for that just... matter. Maybe there's just too much attention on it, and they can only like I think that they can get away with it when you're relatively lower profile, when you have a lot of um, you know less active followers that maybe they're not going to notice if you take them away. I'm not exactly sure how they do it. I don't know anything about anything. It's, there's no transparency, but right. Jimmy is such a big voice, and he's drawn so much attention to the the censorship and the blocking. And so has Kyle, obviously, and Kyle's obviously also has a huge platform. But I feel like Jimmy has really just been hitting that hard. And there do seem to be these things that the algorithm likes. And it's clear that despite there being, you know, politically a lot of antagonism toward kind of vaccine skepticism, the algorithm really likes it. Right. You know, the you you know. The algorithm clearly likes, I mean, I don't know if it's the algorithm, maybe people just that hungry for it, really like having conversations about pharmaceutical overreach and mixed messaging over masks and alternative treatments and all of the stuff that's going on. And Jamie has been, whatever you think of his content, you know, really forceful in that space. And that might be the difference between him and Kyle. Well, I think, you know, most people, I think, align with Kyle's position, and and I mean, just looking at vaccine numbers. So I don't. I wouldn't just put it on the on the vaccine issue. And do most people agree issue. with Kyle's position? Because that's also not the question. The question is, what do most people on YouTube agree with? Well, I mean, most people are on YouTube, so I, I don't know. No, no, I, no. I, most I, people are not on YouTube. I would gather that if not from my videos, my mother would zero percent of the time ever open a YouTube link. Most most people are not on YouTube. Okay, most people aren't, but most varieties of political people are. I, I don't think. think so. I don't that's right. I think that people who are looking for alternative news, people who are I think that YouTube probably skews alternative, not liberal, not mainstream. I it, you know, they put all yeah, their clips but, yeah, on there. Skeptical. Skeptical. Right? Yeah, skeptical people. Yeah, so But that's like, there's conservative spec you know, skepticals and liberal skepticals and leftist skepticals and right. right you know like there's all varietals well, liberal I don't think there's her. a lot of liberal skepticals to be honest I don't think that liberal I think I think that the liberal approach and I don't mean this as an insult or anything but I think that what makes a liberal in part is that real technocratic trust and authority that comes from mainstream sources in like hashtag science yeah I think the bigger part and if you look at the view cast for Jimmy is is the anti-war the last month. And it's mm. really, I guess I'll ask you one last thing and we can continue con- to converse for a sec, but uh, do you need to get back into dinner? I jumped outside uh, mm. while I was eating. But um, why is the only anti-war voice on cable news a conservative? It's a very good question and a very problematic precedent to set. I right. agree. I mean, I, I want to give a little bit of credit to Ilhan Omar. Uh, she's yeah, not a, a TV personality, obviously, but she gets on TV and says things. I mean, did, I, I guess I'll leave with this. I do want to go back in to to my dinner, but what? Like, look at Ro Khanna, our like 
one of our progressive yeah. members of Congress. Look at what he said to Max Blumenthal last week. About Yo, I reached stuff. out to him. And then how he yeah. smeared Max Blumenthal, deleted that, and, like, that was, like, oh, RT, these people are critical. There's conservatives on RT, too. Just talking about that for a sec. Like, it wasn't just leftists on RT. There was a mm-hmm. variety of views. And Abby talked about that got, on the episode, right? Like, exactly. But she yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's complicated. I'm going to run. Thanks for your okay. time, Bree. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I was going to say that I reached out to Ro after those tweets, and he has agreed to come on the podcast So we're in the and talk about it. So we're in the course of scheduling that. But that's another reason, if you don't already, subscribe to Bad Faith Podcast and follow on YouTube and subscribe to premium episodes. Um, I'm not sure if it will be premium or not. You know me. I just release them as they're recorded and they come out. But um, it's, if you're not already a subscriber, that's a good reason to think about doing so. Um, because we certainly have a lot of questions for Ro about that very thing. Jonathan, you've been putting some interesting questions and comments on the chat, so I want to invite you to speak. And we're just going to do a couple more. We're not going to do a whole hour three like we normally do, guys. What's on your mind, Jonathan? Oops, where'd you go? Did I mess that up? Make next caller. There you go. Now I can unmute. Yes, I hear you loud and clear. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, you, by the way, were, were one of my first follows when I joined Twitter a couple of years ago. Hmm. And there there should be no doubt, like, your your account is depressed based on, from the baseline of when I first signed up a couple of years ago. Hmm. Uh, a lot of times, if you have a tweet that does not get a whole bunch of engagement right off the bat, uh, it will disappear real quick from the feed, and I make a point of searching for your tweets on show days. Uh, mm. So, yeah, that like you, it definitely is happening. Another one of my first follows, as I said in the comments, was Rose McGowan. Mm. Uh, now, you know, I had read that story uh, of Ronan Farrow's. I was just absolutely stunned and bowled over and impressed by that woman. So I followed her, and she was very close to when I first joined Twitter, um, you know, talking about being suppressed by social media. Uh, I forget exactly what the first context was, but uh, it was actually pretty close to, uh, you know, the debates, uh, like the presidential debates, uh, when Trump and and Biden, I think it was the second one. Hmm. And maybe it was the first one. And, um, you know, she was was talking about being suppressed by the algorithms. I basically a lot of people were calling her crazy. And uh, they were I was like, goodness, didn't anybody read Ronan Farrow's stuff? Like the last people to call Rose McGowan paranoid wound up looking like idiots. Mm. So I went and did some basic tests like there used to be a shadow ban checker tool. Yeah, I tried that. It was, definitely doesn't work. Not anymore, but it yeah. used to. And, uh, you know, back then it did Mm. and it was on. And then like an hour later, it would be off. Okay. And that tells Mm. algorithms don't do that. When they suppress somebody, it's for like, they might punish you by suppressing you for a week or a day or something like that, but they don't do it one hour on one hour off. Okay. Mm. Some, a person is behind there doing that. And the day of that second debate or that first debate, she was planning a response video with the People's Party. 
And that guy, Brett Weinstein, was was planning one with the Libertarian Party. And they just, oops, accidentally deleted her Facebook account. Facebook is much more heavy-handed with that stuff. Uh, all of her YouTube stuff was suppressed. People were posting videos of being unable to like her tweets. And it absolutely was a thing. And Glenn Greenwald got involved on behalf of Brett Weinstein, you know, that day or the next day. And they restored his account, and they restored hers at the same time. But a Facebook executive responded on Twitter to Glenn Greenwald saying, oh, it was just a mistake. The algorithm had a glitch. Uh, you check that Facebook official's profile, and it says her previous place of employment was the Democratic National Committee. Ain't that just the way it goes? Like, I, I don't want to yes. sound conspiratorial. It's so easy to be called crazy, right? Like, I when I when I tweeted this, and I, I only did it once. It was about a year ago because the blowback was so crazy. I was like, I, I can't be dealing with force the vote shit and this shit. I'm sorry. I got to pick a lane. But uh, what's his name? There's a guy, Vouch, Vouch or something. He went crazy yes. and was like, oh, he started Reddit threads about it. Oh, Brianna thinks she's being suppressed. Oh, this, this, this chick's off her rocker, all of this stuff. You know, that, that is the move and and it works. It's effective. I remember that, it like yeah. chases you into not wanting, it's like not worth it at the end of the day. It's yeah, like, what and am I, I complaining about? I still have 350,000 followers and growth and follower growth is never my goal, but obviously I am interested if I'm being suppressed. Yeah. That black box is the point. It, it absolutely, it is a type of propaganda uh, and it's designed to essentially promote the definition of gaslighting. Okay. Like you say things like that and you sound conspiratorial and, it's, and, you know, people are like, you're crazy, but you know what you're seeing and you know the correlation and you know what it sounds like. But because you don't have any proof and it sows that uncertainty in people, people that, like you said, you know, liberals tend to gravitate towards taking authority's word for it, they will just presume because it's easier and there's no proof that you are just making it up and you're paranoid. Now, a year later from that, and this was like a DM conversation with Rose McGowan, like, Obviously, like enough people were trolling her and saying she was crazy that she responded to some Joe Nobody with like probably like 20 followers. Although she has always been kind of like you, real good about treating ordinary people like they matter. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, like a year later, uh, Wired, I think it was, published uh, an article based on leaked documents that uh, Facebook and a lot of these other pro uh, these other platforms have a special whitelist for high-profile people and celebrities, which means I was right. Like, what I saw, somebody had actually singled her out, targeted her account for suppression at that time, and then restored it as soon as the debates were over, pretty much. And, uh, you know, all of those other things, like, they do have that special whitelist. So somebody is actually personally taking charge of those accounts and deciding what kind of suppression, when it's going to be on, when it's going to be off, and, you know, just strategically targeting and tweaking. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like it per is a thing. perfectly, like there's nothing implausible sounding about it. And I got to say the, the, the thing you said about gaslighting, sometimes it's like, I feel with the show too, and the Patreon, it's like, I don't need the, like, I would like the Patreon to grow because I'd like to hire more producers and I'd like to have more clips produced and all this other kind of stuff. But I, it's not because I, I want to earn more money. But I also don't want it to decline. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so when I see declining numbers, I'm already I've expressed on the show that I'm a little uncomfortable, like asking for patrons. But so I, I'm like, okay, well, let me not ask. Let me just try to dream up what is the kind of thing that's going to get clicks. Let me dream up the kind of content that the the patrons really want. Like, 
do they can I can I get Nathan and Glenn in a room? Can I get I've been trying to get, by the way, Aaron Mate and one of his detractors in the room, but nobody is willing to actually come on with Aaron. Aaron's down. Like Aaron's willing. It's everybody else, all the liberals who are so critical of him that won't go face to face with him, which I think is hilarious. Um I wouldn't but, yeah, I wouldn't want to debate Aaron. He brings receipts. <laughs> right. Um so you know, but if you're willing to write an, an article about Aaron and how you're not supposed to be a tanky or whatever that guy at the intercept wrote, like you, you know, you should be able to talk to him about it. But that's uh, an aside. Uh, for me as a content creator, it creates all of this like insecurity because I'm like, I can't even tell what people like. I can't even tell what content's going to work, and it makes me kind of want to fling my hands up sometimes and be like, screw it, like. I'm, I'm, if, I, if I work really hard and, and, and like try to put 30% more effort in one month, it doesn't necessarily translate to anything in terms of subscribers. And then sometimes I'll like do what I think is kind of a throwaway episode. Like when I had not throwaway, but you know what I mean? Like an easy episode with someone like I just like from the internet, like Tesla and Figaro and people really respond to it. It doesn't necessarily mean there's more patrons, but it's so, it's so capricious. That it, it f's with my brain. It almost makes me not want to try to be businessy and strategic and grow my business. Because it's like, what, what's the point? Like, they're just going to silence me. They're just going to block me. They're just going to, you know, is there is there an extent to which I have a bunch of fake patrons and they all unsubscribe en masse when I've crossed some kind of line here or there? And that makes me feel like I got to stop doing this kind of content. But it's not even real. It's just the fake patrons that they put there in the first instance that they can control my behavior. I mean, that sounds so crazy. Like, I know how it sounds. But that's the kind of intrusive thoughts that are bred by this reality. Yeah, I, I know what you mean better than you think I do, because I got pulled in in October. I got promoted from parasocial to social with the uh, the Real Progressives group, because I was listening to their their uh, flagship podcast, Macro and Cheese, mm. uh, and Love. Steve Grumbine pulled me in there. And, uh, you know, that... Um, like I have kind of like I got tossed in the deep end of a lot of those kinds of of problems uh, with the algorithm exception. Like they used to get thousands and thousands of new members in their Facebook groups every month. Uh, they used to get thousands of views on YouTube every month, and like all of their programs used to get loads and loads of new engagement. And you know, it would just stop and it would keep getting worse and worse and worse at various kind of, of, of switch points. And, um, you know, I've also been taking like little producer lessons too, which is not, not an easy job. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. just getting into it, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, my hat goes off to people that, that can do that work. Well, like, uh, you know, Steve went on, uh, on status quo, uh, with, you know, Jordan, Jordan Sheridan and, you know, sub for him for a while. And he's like, I want a Colin. So, uh, yeah, that's like, that's not an easy job to do. And it's not easy to find people that are good at it, but yeah, I understand yeah. completely what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate your commentary as always. I'm going to try to get a couple of these people who seem kind of new Shelly. I don't think I've ever seen you up in here before. What's on your mind? Uh, hi, yeah, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. This is the first. The, the, you actually did take me, um, I think, a couple weeks ago, but my app just wasn't working. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm glad we have a second bite at the apple. Yeah, no, I just want to say I love everything that you do. Oh, thank you, Shelly. <laughs> That's and very you're really kind great. Of you. And I really appreciate you having, especially these like marathon long call in <laughs> conversations. It's, it's, it's evidence of how lonely I am. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But it's, it's not. 
nice to hang out. Like it is true that I have not left my apartment today and I enjoy a little social contact. So thank you guys. Dedicated. I I think that's great. I was kind of sad to miss Q because I'm also a fellow ML. (laughs) Um, So I'm kind kind of disappointed about that, but I've actually gotten a chance to talk to him before. Um, he's live, by the way, on another call-in show, um, which yeah, you should. Yeah, def- I was already queued up for you. <laughs> I, mean, I like. You. I mean, I love you, but I've been wanting to talk to you for a little while. Well, I appreciate that, but you should feel no guilt about going over there after because we're about to wrap anyway. But what's what's on your mind, Shelley? Well, I mean, I really enjoyed your episode with I can't Coburn the other day. Oh yeah, Andrew Coburn, kind of like stumbling into nuclear war. Which yeah. I feel like it's kind of giving me an existential crisis because <laughs> mm. I Tell feel like it. I just keep watching like all these mistakes <laughs> that, that it just seems like we're just getting so close to it and we're just amping it up. But I just basically wanted to say I would agree kind of with the telegram thing mm-hmm. that we were talking about because I am, I've subbed to a couple of telegram things that are kind of giving a better indication of the war on the ground in Ukraine. Mm. And there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that people are just not seeing. Like what? Can you give us a taste? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it is like a lot of the destruction that you see, like whenever kind of the Ukrainian media posts images of tanks that are destroyed. Some of these Mm. are from years ago where they Mm. just kind of etched on like the Z um so it's not real like they're not doing well on the ground mm. russia's kicking their butt <laughs> yeah because the narrative that i've heard most recently is that russia bit off more than it can chew that yeah. there's maybe even nuclear risk because it now has to demonstrate that it's bigger and badder than it was before no actually if you if you really um scott ritter has done some excellent interviews recently with a couple of people with Dan Cohen and also a, a guy I think he would really like named Justin Podor that does a history podcast. Hmm. Um, he's doing like this multi-part series on the scramble for Africa, which hmm. is excellent. I really think that you would like his work. Justin, how do you spell Podor? P-O-D-U-R, I believe. Okay. He, I, I believe he's in oh, I see him. He's, yeah, he's in Canada. He's great. His, his history podcast is absolutely excellent. Okay, I'm going to follow um, him right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely do that. But he had an interview with Scott Ritter. Scott Ritter was actually the weapons inspector on the ground from Iraq who mm. was calling basically and saying, like, they don't have weapons of mass destruction. Don't have weapons of mass destruction. Mm. And he's actually spent time in the Soviet Union. I think his wife is Russian. He has mm. a good understanding of, like, Russian culture and all that stuff. If you really want to have an expert on the war on the ground on your show – Scott Ritter would be a great suggestion. Plus, he's funny. Oh, I love to hear that. Love yeah. to hear that. Hey, let me ask you why I have you here. Also, I part of me was like, okay, I got to stop doing Ukraine content. Like, how as a consumer, because it, it's, it's irresistible, right? And the, but there's a part of me that's like, one, you're not the expert. Let people listen to it on other shows. Two. I am frustrated about how the domestic agenda has just been forgotten, and people are suffering and aid is going out the door that could be applied i mean it's not one-to-one it's not a zero-sum game because mmt but that people need help here but like also i understand that this is front of mind for folks i mean how are you feeling i've been trying to like space it out like one ukraine one not ukraine (laughs) yeah no i i I definitely i definitely understand that 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 makes a whole lot of sense to me um but one of the things that i would have to say as a ml 
internationalism is kind of everything. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that go into your daily life that you don't even understand that are based on international and geopolitical movements. Mm. Um, And so I do think that this is really important. I actually think that we are moving more towards multipolarity. Mm. I did enjoy your episode. I can't remember the young lady's name. Grace Blakely. Yes. I Mm -hmm. I think she's a little, I, I, I didn't assess her as right. I think Michael Hudson has a much better view of what's going on economically and the de-dollarization, the decoupling that's happening right now. Yeah, someone else recommended him. Yeah. Um, so I think he might be good for that because a lot of the things that we see on the ground over here, like, for example, and I can't remember the exact details, like Joe Biden somehow personally pissed off MBS in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. He's got like a personal vendetta against Biden. That That's one reason why he's not increasing oil production. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, Sometimes international issues really affect domestic issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're kind of, they're kind of intertwined. So I wouldn't put that much pressure on yourself. Like just, I would say like talk about what feels the most important. Well, now you've got me in a vice grip because Michael Hudson follows me in the quickest way for me. The, the, the There's like a, a, a sunbeam that opens when I see someone that is suggested actually follows me. And all I have to do to book them is to DM them. <laughs> It's like, they're on the show. If I don't have to go and Google for their .edu address and like write a whole email, if I can just DM and say, hey, Michael, want to come on my show? He would be so thrilled to come on your show. I see him, like, I I try to find everything that he does and he'll go on people that have like two fucking viewers. Like, All right. Well. Absolutely come on your show. He's great. He does get a little bit excited and, 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 you know, he's. I love that. Yeah. He's he's great. He's, He's a genius. He's. I would kind of say he's almost a little bit better than Richard Wolf. Oh, high praise. Those are big yeah. words, Shelly. That it, it is it is high praise. But he also had um, his history of, and him working on Wall Street. I can't remember. Like I said, I, I just can't. My memory is not the best. I can kind of just remember vagaries. But um, he had, like, he was part, he wrote a document a long time ago about, like, how the United States was operating and he literally wrote that and like, he got called up by the government to be like, how can we exploit this further? Mm. So they're kind of running his super imperialism game. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely something that I think that you would find really illuminating. It's just kind of like how, when I was listening with you and Abby Martin and mm-hmm. she was kind of saying like, at first I just kind of thought that it was like a Putin talking point about Nazis on the ground. Mm-hmm. But then every single picture is, you know, the black sun and, yeah, He's like they can't hire one stuff. intern to just scan all the images. Like the photo, the photo intern can't just do a quick Nazi check before they post right. things to mainstream channels. And it's it 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 is kind of crazy that it. Yes, it's not the entire Ukrainian population at all, at right. all. But the people that are the most ideologically extreme are the ones that are fighting the hardest, and that's the reason why you keep seeing the insignias. But they're they're there. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had dinner the other day with a friend from high school who's Russian who I haven't seen in many years. Also, yeah. LOL, he works in um, aerospace building satellites. And I was like, my friend, they're letting you build satellites? And we had a good laugh about it. Um, but he, I was obviously picking his brain. Um, he's like Russian, Russian, you know. I went to international yeah. school. He's actually Russian. And although he hasn't been home in, in many years because of conscription and him not doing it. So, yeah, I get that. Um, 
so he was he was like I think I couldn't tell if a little bit he like assumed that I was coming from the typical mainstream liberal perspective and didn't want to say anything that would get him described as a Putin puppet or what, whether that's like sincerely held. But he was saying some stuff about how how the word Nazi is perceived in Ukraine, like what it means to be a Nazi is a little bit, and this sounds like ridiculous to say, but is a little bit more shaded and like almost political as opposed to this visceral like evil thing. You can get people like uh, Bandera or whatever recognized as a national hero and it has valences. It's more about, it's, it's as much about nationalism as, you know, a craven hatred of Jewish people, which is what we're thinking of. And I can't, I can't speak to that at all, but it was, it was some interesting perspective. I don't know. Yeah, no, that I, I, I do think that's interesting. Um, for sure. I, I would also have to say that I do feel like a lot of, um, and I, and I don't like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything about your friend or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I do feel like sometimes a lot of like Russians that kind of are in America or whatever, mm-hmm. they usually have sort of more of like, kind of the, like the elitist mindset. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they kind of come from more of like the liberal orientation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes they, they, they skew a little bit more anti Putin and sort of, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of what Michael Prenti talks about as far as like brain drain, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, you have kind of like your technocratic elites that kind of want to skew towards sort of like the Western system where it's like abundance and wealth and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that type of stuff. So they, you know, sometimes they can kind of, they might not have the, uh, uh the same views of the working class in that perspective country. Yeah. Fair enough. And, also, to, in his defense, oh, yeah. hadn't spoken in, I think, since maybe we, there was a reunion maybe five years ago or so. <laughs> so I, I, I pushed him a little to jump right into a very thorny topic and a very loud, very delicious Mexican restaurant. So we'll see what happens when we meet up again. But thank you, Shelly. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate yeah, no, the recommendation. I already DM'd Michael. And so we'll see what comes of it. Look, guys, you heard me. I was going to try to back away from Ukraine episodes, but Shelly set me up. I'm sorry. It's my fault, everyone. I'm sorry about Dave. It's all my fault. And also, I you should just, even if you don't even do a podcast episode with Justin Podor, follow him on Twitter and listen to his podcast. You guys, I, I really think your audience will love it. He does his his main podcast, The Anti-Empire Files, with like his high school history teacher. Oh, cute. Yeah. And, and, and they basically just go through a bunch of old, like Western history books and they just point out like how all these like colonialists, like white people are just like, have you seen these brutes over here? Let's kill them. (laughs) It's totally mind blowing. (laughs) Okay. Really open your, I I, I love to hear it. Like, I love to hear it. The best part of this job probably is getting introduced to so many people who are expanding my mind in so many ways. I learned so much from them and I learned so much from you in the audience who oftentimes hips me to them. So I really appreciate you, Shelly. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. All right, let's maybe do one more. I don't think I've seen Arlo before. So let's make him the next and probably last caller because it is 10 p.m. and your girl has not worked out yet today. (laughs) unmute yourself and let me know what's on your mind Arlo I think I'm here you are all right cool hello and uh, I've been listening for a while since probably hear the burn so like thank you so much for what you're doing you are are, your voice is really important and and really grateful for the spaces that you're creating um 
Yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We don't want to drag this out too much, as much as we all love to be here. I'll say two quick things on Ukraine, and then um, probably just leave it there. But uh, one thing that that's really helping me not feel the existential fear, right? That that's like flying around with all the propaganda and the thoughts of international war uh, is, is just like remembering and trying to learn about that, like wait, this has been going on for eight years. Like as much as this is now in the center of the international media, this isn't something that just suddenly like it's going to escalate and we're all going to have nukes flying tomorrow. Like I just watched the um, Roger Stone's documentary, uh, mm-hmm. Ukraine on Fire. Mm-hmm. So there's there's like so much context. Um, so it, it's tough. Yeah. Um, you know, and being able to step back a little bit helps me from not like worrying about bombs flying everywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, that's not to belittle what's going on for, you know, the people, you know, in Ukraine who are, and really the protesters in Russia who are being repressed in, in like all sorts of directions. So, so there's that, um, one thing as a Jewish person looking at what was being said about how. Zelensky being Jewish somehow negates any sort of issues that there might be with Nazis or fascists in mm-hmm. Ukraine. It was really cringe. It, it, mm-hmm. it made me think a lot about how, like, back in 2008, 2009, there was all the, like, oh, Obama's president now. There's there's no racism in America, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very much erasing, like, all the nuances and stuff. So, Or Trump. So Trump got it, away with a lot of that. You know, I have a Jewish son-in-law. Yeah, and there is right. an alignment right now in the United States with the right-wing um, Christian conservative movement in politics and also this APAC kind of defense spending wing of, you know, that that is a crazy, weird, uncomfortable alignment and that you that gets used to deflect from the anti-Semitism that still exists within the Republican Party and that there is some evidence in the historical record that Donald Trump also has expressed. Yeah, it, it, it's like the way media is so, you know, Quick, click, quick. You know, we can't talk about the long story here. We have to just talk about, oh, Jewish person or, oh, you know, this. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I'll, I'll just conclude um, by being very appreciative that you're continuing to stay on this. It's, it's been in my head for a while. You, you did this an episode maybe like two months ago where you were talking about like left, how to create left media platform and mm-hmm. you're staying on it. And it's, it's great because it needs to happen. And you're clearly not the only person thinking about this and how to do it is, is a challenge, right? I mean, if, if it was easy, it would have happened 15 times in the last 20 years, but it's, it's clearly tough. And, and like, you can look at what's happened to other platforms and try and learn from it. But yeah, I mean, you you, you just got to keep going. Thank you, Brie. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Arlo. I appreciate that. And we haven't even gotten around to Andrew Yang, who is supposed to be trying to create an independent media platform of his own, which you know people mm-hmm. are going to feel different kinds of ways about, but certainly no one could argue is less kind of stigmatized than a, let's say, rumble. <laughs> so Yeah, well, and you got to give him credit for trying to do it at the same time that he's trying to, like, build out another party, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, he's, he's going on all fronts and got to give credit. That's what I, the thing that I like about Yang is that he seems very solution oriented and he has identified, I think, very correctly the problems, which are barriers to entry for third parties and a lack of independent media. And the fact that he's putting his money where his mouth is, we'll see what the execution is like and all of that. But the fact that he has identified those problems and is really trying to do something about it matters. I've also noticed that he gets a lot less engagement on his tweets than he used to. Uh huh. Same thing, probably. Yeah. It, it could be that he 
you know, obviously ran for mayor of New York and did not run in the way that we would have liked to see him do and said a bunch of cringe things and spoiled his own reputation. Or, though, however, it could be something else. And it used to be that he could tweet, like, really anodyne stuff, like – it's time for us to have a new, you know, it's, it's, it's time for a new day. It's not up and down. It's, it's not left, right. It's up, down. You know, he would tweet stuff like that and get tons and tons and tons of likes and retweets and stuff. Yeah. And I've seen him often like tweet and like a hundred people will like it. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, whether or not it's true. It, it, it's part of the pattern that we're all seeing. Yeah. And again, we don't know. It just makes everything skeptical. You have the skepticism makes everything ambivalent. It makes you feel weird and you can't prove anything. So it makes you feel gaslit. But that's just an observation. I'm not saying anything, but it's an observation. So thank you, Arlo. I really appreciate you calling in. Again. And I want to say to everyone to to remember, you guys are doing really well for a while, but then you stopped making clips from the episode. And I think episode like this was just so rich. We had such great guests. I'm really appreciative for uh for Q, Nico, and Lee swinging by. I think it really enlivened the conversation, and they had so many receipts and so much to say. Clip it. The, in this app, in this app, there's this amazing function where you can use a little – after I post it, which will happen like 20 minutes after I wrap, uh, it takes a lot of process. You you rem- remember where you spoke. Remember – a transcript is created, and you can scroll through basically – and find the one, two-minute segment that you thought was spicy, that you thought was informative, or that you would want to share to get people to come and listen to this episode and participate in these calls in the future. And they exist in the feed so that I can then push them to social media. You can push them to social media. You can push it to Twitter. You can push it to Instagram. And I really like that feature because you can also, if you don't push it directly, if you download it first to your phone, it downloads as an audiogram. So it downloads as like an image with transcribed text at the bottom, which is great for Lots of reasons, including the hearing impaired and stuff like that. But it also just makes it more likely that people are going to stop and read it and click on it and look at it than just posting the link to the clip to social. So those are options ahead of you. And I will feel really good if at least two people, there are 119 people still in this room. If I get two clips out of this, I'll feel good. If I get five clips out of this, I'll feel like a rock star. (laughs) So I know that times are tough and not everyone can subscribe and do, do all of that. But the, this kind of thing, I'm kind of, I guess, like stealing your labor as my production team. I'm sorry. Maybe this isn't good either. <laughs> but it's really, it's really helpful to me, and I would really appreciate it if you consider doing it. I see a lot of old heads that always call in that I was skipping over a little bit today. I still love you. Please don't take it personally, but I think it's nice to get some fresh voices in the mix. And I won't do this every time, but I think it was nice. I enjoyed hearing from the new people today. Thank you, everyone, as always, for tuning in. Got a really good lineup coming up i'm there's a COVID episode coming up and also what did i record yesterday it was really good whatever it was whatever monday at what monday's episode i've already forgotten but it was something really really good and i really liked it um i'm doubling down hard to try to get those subscriptions up i want like a hundred new subscribers by the end of the month to get us back to baseline would be really good 100 150 or so would really make me happy so think about that tell your friends share if you've been on the fence this is a good time to do it take care of yourselves as always, and keep the faith. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not-
will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 District. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through what? In a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion.